Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, today's an exciting day uh, because recently, two days ago as of our recording, there was a Pokemon announcement video stream. On the internet yeah, that uh, you and I both watched, that <laughs> on had the internet. Um, <laughs> there was a Pokemon announcement stream. It was an actual physical stream. It was an offshoot yeah. of a larger Nintendo River, uh, right. and we just kind of sat there and fished for a while. And it was a really pleasant time. Kind of like the uh, Batman and Ro- uh, Batman Forever like TV device that the Riddler uses, but for Pokemon <laughs> announcements. Yes. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we watched the stream. They announced a bunch of stuff. I think you and I wanted to start this episode by talking about it because generally what happens with our show is like something like this will happen and then you and I will like kind of be coy about our feelings about it when we're like texting each other. It's like, you want to talk about this? Yeah, I want to talk about this. And then like both of us will allude to the fact that we're excited about it. But like we never really reveal our full and complete thoughts until we are on the mic as it were. Yeah. Uh, Gotta so keep it organic. You know? I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to talk to you about this. Let's just get the first one out of the way. Cause we know the most about it. How do you feel about Pokemon snap? Sorry. New Pokemon snap. Actually, I, can I even take a step further back and just frame this whole thing? Yeah, like, please. From of course. a more abstract place. So like, <laughs> This yeah, take the, us there. There were like three days of directs like that felt back to back leading up to this. So yeah. like there was the Nintendo Direct, which we already talked about, which I thought was fine. Like that's I think because as we discussed, because there was so much time leading up to it, I think that the reaction to it was a little bit more hyperbolic than it maybe would have otherwise. Yeah. Um, but there were some cool announcements. And like no matter what your preference is, you probably at least walked away thinking like, okay, I'm excited for two to three things. Right. Uh, uh, average direct. Then we had the PlayStation event, which was ba- like no new information, basically. Like that without being mean, it was there rough. was really nothing new other than the uh, Yuffie chapter with FF7 remake which looks cool and photo yeah. mode that's great i just kind but, of wish that square enix had their own event where they announced that yes exactly because like all we got from the rest was just sort of extended trailers for stuff we already knew about which yeah. was cool but like not really event worthy that could have also like the thing we keep coming to with this is like these could have just been tweets and it would have been like received better you know like yeah, absolutely here's a new trailer for uh Zakana. The, the like fantasy game oh oh uh, Kina Bridge of Spirits yeah Kina yeah that that game looks really fun and it was cool to see more of that but yeah kind of weird. so so I was emotionally prepared for the Pokemon event to be like <laughs> I think I joked with you like we canceled Pokemon Snap and here's news about the MOBA that you forgot about yeah. that's what I was entering with so I was like very much a blank slate but I, I also couldn't help but be a little excited and I in short am very excited by what they announced but I think we'll have a more nuanced discussion as we go through so uh, to answer your question also just for the record i feel like pokemon news is like the hulk serum for our show i don't know what it is <laughs> whenever there's like <laughs> like us following the pokemon twitter leading up to sword and shield is like the most fun i've had in this show which is yes. saying a lot because i always have a good time but it just i don't know what it is it just fills us with like this chaotic energy that is unmatched anyway uh pokemon snap <laughs> new pokemon snap new, Steven. looks incredible it really this is a game i've been very excited for uh and i was also very nervous about because i'm like this could easily just be total crap 
crap. Like, this, like the, the chance of this being good is like really 50-50 because the Pokemon Snap on N64 I thought was like a really kind of underrated classic. Uh, I've mentioned many times that playing that game, even still, I mean, I, I've played it somewhat recently and obviously it's an N64 game, but like the settings and, and the Pokemon in these environments feel so fully realized and there's like kind of behaviors you have to witness and like interact with. It almost kind of feels like, bear with me, but like a rail, sh- uh, not rail shooter, but like you're literally on the rails and taking pictures in an environment like Majora's Mask or Moon where there are these kind of predetermined schedules happening Mm -hmm. and you like swaying them you'll be able to witness different events so I kind of play with this idea of like what if we made a Pokemon game that wasn't about battling or catching but it was sort of about just experiencing the setting in a very kind of lively way and there's been a really big void for that because I think as much as I've enjoyed all the mainline games none of them have really focused on that kind of immersive side of things other than maybe Maybe the camping and sword and shield, but that kind of feels a little minimal after a while. Yeah, yeah. I've always I've always said that um, my my dream Pokemon movie because like the obvious thing for them to do when they moved Pokemon into live action was just like have a have a person like be a trainer and like go out and do stuff like with their Pokemon and like Detective Pikachu kind of wasn't that because it was a little bit of a mystery movie but it was still like some dude and his Pikachu are going out and like solving a mystery which is like kind of what Ash does in every episode of Pokemon anyway Um, so (laughs) it's like not that far of a cry from like what we've already gotten my dream Pokemon movie has always been like a rich uh, David Attenborough narrated like nature documentary about Pokemon and like Pokemon Snap just is that video game form except you have to do the narration yourself which (laughs) Now I'm thinking about it is maybe a great Twitch stream idea. Oh my god, yeah, we should do that. That'd be so fun. (laughs) Watch the onyx as it molts its rocky skin. (laughs) Do onyx molt? Yeah, we'll find out. Um, (laughs) Venonats breed by emitting a high pitched frequency. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Watch the watch the venonats breed like rabbits. <laughs> this is a dirty game. Okay, uh, new Pokemon Snap looks so lovely. It actually, I think, of the three games that were announced, it looks the best. Like in terms of just like the colors and the mm. environment, and I mean, it really makes vibrant, sense. yeah, yeah, because like that's the whole game, so they're gonna focus on that a bit more. The only thing that kind of looks off is that the human characters are like a little uncanny for some reason. They're like. <laughs> It's it's a little strange. Professor Mirror, I uh, love that. Uh, Lentil Islands, I think it's what they're called. The Lentil Islands, yeah, I love that too. Uh, see, I'm I'm very excited for that. And the thing they announced with this trailer is like it looks like it's very much following in the footsteps of the N64 game. But now you can share your photos online, and you like will get rewards of people like them, which could go wildly either way given <laughs> Nintendo's yeah. internet. But I think it's a very fun idea, and that could really like make this game have a community around it that wasn't there for N64. Yeah, I'm really excited to become a Pokemon Snap influencer via my social following <laughs> on Pokemon Snap. I'm going to try and get like a Casper mattress uh, ad in, I don't know, a picture of a Machoke or something. <laughs> Ready to hit the gym? Um, yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm going to share so many pictures on Twitter. I think that's probably like whether or not the online feature in the game works. This is like going to be a great way just to like share screenshots on any social media platform. I might yeah. post them on LinkedIn, whatever. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> post whatever you want on LinkedIn. We've talked about yeah, that before. We've talked about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for that. I, I, 
I think each game fills like a very unique role, which is why I'm excited for all of them. There's a part of me that's like most excited for Snap, weirdly enough. Hmm. But I think each game is going to fill like a very important role, which we'll get to as we go on. But yeah, I I'm I was very reassured by this trailer personally. Yeah. I I'm still I think a little bit hesitant about this one um, until I get my hands on it or like sure. read some reviews. But honestly, I don't I don't even know if I'm going to like trust the reviews as much. I think I'm just going to have to play it for myself because I liked Pokemon Snap the original yeah I, I played it a whole bunch um and, and and it just seems like new pokemon snap is like so up my alley as a person who just like really digs photography and spends a shitload of time in photo modes in video games anyway it's like this is the most made for me game and i think that's kind of why i'm so nervous about it is like i really wanted to fulfill this thing and i i'm not quite sure if they're gonna get there but uh i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it like i'm gonna play it regardless you know it's kind of where yeah. i'm at but it's, from what i've seen in all the trailers and this one in particular, it, this is the most gameplay I think we'd seen so far. It looks great. I'm, I'm excited to check it out. Um, I'm nervous that it's going to come out around the same time as Umarangi Generation for the Switch, uh, <laughs> which will then, you know, put me in a situation where it's going to be like Spelunky 2 and Hades coming out in the I same week. I was about week. to say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But outside of that, I'm really looking forward to checking this out and I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it comes out April 30th. So, uh, oh, look, yeah, look that's pretty that. early. Yeah, it's pretty soon. I mean, we're now entering a reality where there are 2021 games existing, which is kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah. I played my first one uh, a few days ago, which we'll talk about later. I, I have also played two this week. Yeah. Oh, nice. Look at that. 2021 is here. Wild. Yeah, it only took three months. Goodbye, Lost Odyssey. (laughs) Oh, no. No, I'm just kidding. I'm playing a shitload of Lost Odyssey. I beat that boss, by the way. I just want to shout that out. I finally got past it. The game gets great after that. But that's... We talk about this a lot, but I think in in the void of new releases, like, it is really nice to just to discover all these old gems like that. Yeah, man. You know? Absolutely. It's really important, especially for, you know, what we want to do with the show. But yeah, so Pokemon Snap looks great. Uh, you want to move on to the next announcement that isn't, you get a thousand acorns if you log on to Pokemon Cafe Mix. Somebody, <laughs> please, you get a million acorns if you log on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So up next was, um, I, I think the most long rumored thing in, in Pokemon history, maybe, which was remakes of Diamond and Pearl called Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, I think. So incredible. I can't get over it. The minute I saw that, I couldn't not say it like, Brilliant Diamond and Shining <laughs> Pearl, like a <laughs> evil aristocrat. Yeah. Ah, this diamond is not nearly brilliant enough. <laughs> I wouldn't put this in my Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Charlatan, you dare insult me with these rocks you call gems. <laughs> this is a game that I think is is kind of singular. Uh, it's, it was kind of a shocking announcement, I thought, in particular, because it's not being developed by Game Freak this time. Oh, is it not? Wow, okay. Yeah, they, they announced it's, it's being developed by a different studio. I forget the name of it, but um, they do have the original director of Diamond and Pearl on the team who is, oh, you cool. know, directing and executive producing this game also which is cool so bringing that person in but has a whole new team to work with uh, to remake this game for the Switch. And I, I think the big thing about it is that it kind of has this art style that like people are 50-50 on from what I've seen. Um, it has kind of like chibi characters, I, I would say, in the overworld. And then when you like get into battle, they kind of look more like, I would say, um, uh, sword and shield adjacent kind of visuals. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, I think it's like a really faithful looking recreation of what we saw in the DS. Like they didn't just 
take whatever was in Diamond and Pearl on the DS and then put it in the Sword and Shield engine, which I think like could have created some like maybe weird issues with the environment or like, you know, whatever. If you wanted that, like I, I get not being stoked about it. But for me, somebody who really loved Diamond and Pearl, like this seems like a really faithful and cool adaptation of that art style into a more modern one. I agree. It yeah. reminds me a lot of not quite to the same degree of success, but it reminds me of the Link's Awakening remake where it's like, yeah, they're making a 3D interpretation of this kind of top down 2D environment. Yeah. And I think th- Diamond and Pearl, I- I've been kind of uncharacteristically like not as into that generation. They're great games. And I think when you look at the entire series, I think Diamond and Pearl kind of marked the end of what I would refer to like the classic era, you know, yeah, like absolutely. black and white is kind of this like, uh, transitionary period and then as much as I love X and Y I feel like every game including X and Y and after X and Y felt like they needed a gimmick when like all anyone really wanted was like a game like the one they announced next which we'll get to in a bit but right, yeah. like X and Y I thought was like an incredible leap for the series but they're like mega evolutions and everyone's like no I just want something new like okay okay you wanted Z moves right, right? and it's like <laughs> no what and then almost satirically they're like how about Gigantamax they're just big now which you and I both loved uh, maybe unironically or not I don't know I'm still trying to figure out my thoughts on that (laughs) but I think like when you look at X and Y, Sun and Moon, and Sword and Shield, they all kind of feel like they're in this 3DS era. And that's actually something I thought about a lot when, like, you and I both really enjoyed Sword and Shield. We both kind of moved on from it um, and both think kindly of it. But I think, like, in conversations about the whole series and us revisiting Crystal last summer, which is, like, easily our favorite still, Sword and Shield kind of falls in the middle for me. And it very much feels like a 3DS game still. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as much as, like, there was hyperbolic criticism of that game and, like, there's no condoning the harassment of Game Freak about anything. I do understand the personal disappointment that like, here's the Switch game for the Pokemon series and it feels like a 3DS game. So all that to say, I think that the fact that they're remaking Diamond and Pearl, this is a game that I'd love to revisit. I'd love to revisit in this way. And I think like Square Enix and like what they're doing with Zelda, it seems like Pokemon is now doing this thing that I think is really smart if you had the resources to do it, where they have an offshoot of the series being like, okay, here's like an updated version of the retro style that you might miss. Yeah. And then we're going to take more risks with the flagship series. So like, yeah. you're never going to be want for anything really at this point. You know, I, I think like ideally in a perfect world, you could also just buy Diamond and Pearl as they were on the Switch. Like, that would be great. Yeah. And that goes back to like our constant cry for game preservation. But I do think there's a place for like polishing up the past in this way. I think that's what Project Triangles feels like in a lot of ways. That's what Link's Awakening felt like. And I think Diamond and Pearl presented in this way and like with maybe hopefully some quality of life improvements from the newer games. And something I didn't like about Diamond and Pearl originally was they really relied on HMs and the later games kind of got rid of that, which like I think HMs worked in the first generations where they were kind of there to like guide the pacing of a more open environment. But then they just sort of felt tacked on and they felt like, oh, now you've got Waterfall and Rock Smash. Like all these moves suck. I don't want to teach anyone these permanent moves that I have to delete by fishing for a love disc that will hopefully have a heart scale that I need to use as a currency with one old man so he deletes the move. Like, yeah. making it so that you can just remember or delete any move at the Poke Center and Sword and Shield was, like, so good. Like, I love that quality of life improvement in the later games. But yeah. at the same I'm time... I'm also they, really yeah. hoping for that stuff. And it also seems like, from at least from some of the uh, Twitter threads and stuff that I've seen, that this is going to be more of an adaptation of Platinum than than Diamond and Pearl, which is good. Cool. I think yeah. that's, that's a smart move. Um, I, I'm wondering how they're going to split it up between Diamond and Pearl if it includes 
includes all the platinum stuff. But there are a couple NPCs that they like in the flyovers of some of the towns are like platinum specific NPCs who are appeared in the brilliant diamond and shining pearl <laughs> uh, reveal trailer, which I think is exciting. So that, that's good for me as somebody who um, I, I just have a hard time playing whatever the third game is in a generation because I always play the first one all the way through. Uh, and then they're like, well, here's the complete version. And then I go try and play that. It's like, I'm just playing the same game again. Um, yeah. So I've never actually seen what is really up with platinum. Uh, and I'm excited to see that kind of stuff. Cause Me too. I've heard that it adds like a pretty substantial amount of story to the end. So I'd like to see that. But also, as I've mentioned a lot on the show, uh, Diamond and Pearl are the two games that I have played the most of every Pokemon game. I have a real, real soft spot for that game. Uh, so I'm very excited to get my hands on it again. And I'm into the art, honestly. And I'm, I'm, yeah, in, I'm, in, I'm into just the overall vibe of the thing. And, and I think I'm gonna have a really good time with it. And that's coming out this year. Also, that's the end of this year, yeah. which I think is kind of worth noting because Nintendo's Direct was pretty much focused on the first half of the year, or at least that's what they said. And then a lot of the stuff was like 2022 releases. And I'm wondering if this is going to be like the Switch release for the end of the year. Like, is this the holiday Switch release or does Nintendo have another thing up their sleeves? Which I'm kind of curious I think there about. might be one more thing because usually like the, other than last year, they usually end the year with like two big games. So like in 2018, it was Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee and Smash Brothers. Yeah. And then in 2019, I think it was uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield and there was one other thing that I can't remember but there's usually like two uh but I mean it may just be one this time because they're you know seemingly kind of catching up yeah so we'll see what happens but yeah I mean ironically I also played the most of Diamond and Pearl because this came out in high school and that's when a group of friends of mine were like getting into playing online it was the first one where you could play against other people online yeah, so dude. that's when like I discovered I remember my friend Eric was like do you EV train and I was like yeah I love Jolteon he was like uh, no you child that's not what I meant <laughs> so yeah I played a lot of it i just think the reason i think it falls a little lower in my list of like overall pokemon games is like you really started to feel like okay you've got the power now of the ds and you're still choosing to present it in this way like the sprites aren't animated like it just felt like a little bit like you gotta catch up with the times like just a little bit more, um, which is actually why I really liked Black and White, which I know is like our point of tension. Is Black and White just felt like I'm sick of fighting with you about Black <laughs> and White. <laughs> they had finally like fully <laughs> animated sprites, and you know I think both of those games, I think people were like hungry for a change when they came out. But I think with Diamond yeah. and Pearl, you had the freshness of like online battles for the first time, and it was a cool setting, which I think that's what I'm most excited for. Is like it's a very mountainous and natural region that I don't think I really like processed fully, like I. I cannot tell you what that campaign was like, but I imagine it's good because I think every single player campaign in a Pokemon game after black and white has been like real simple. I actually think sword and shield is one of the better ones. Cause I liked the sort of like FIFA uh, adventure of it. Oh yeah. I didn't need the end of the world stuff with chairman Rose like, at all. And neither the game seemingly didn't even want to do that. He just goes like, I'm here to end the world. Like at some point in the soccer tournament, you're like, okay, I guess I got to leave for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually the, I think the biggest bummer about that game for me was like, I, I thought, it was a really brilliant move to just pare it all down to like no 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 you're just a trainer who wants to like make it and like that yeah. was actually really wonderful when you pair it with the gigantic stadiums and stuff like that like the, the yeah. spectacle of it. it was like oh yeah this is what I've always seen in the anime and I'm finally seeing that in the games in like a way that feels tangible and real and then having the like out of nowhere swoop down attack of of the end of the world shit was like I, I just I just don't need yeah this. we don't need that always and I think but but I think Diamond and Pearl and black and white had like really 
meteor kind of uh single player campaigns which like it's still pokemon it's still gonna <laughs> it's not gonna like rock your world narratively yeah but i think it won't feel like i remember playing x and y and being blown away by the advancements in certain areas but i also remember having a pangoro use power up punch to get through the entire game i just had my giant panda like one punch <laughs> that entire game yeah uh, which was so funny because you have like eight friends who all want you to kick their ass in that game They're like yeah me next me next and it's like this panda it's like <laughs> My Here's every so item funny. I have. Here's all my money. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> I fucking suck and I love it. Kick my ass. See you in two gyms. Yeah. My whole thing is I love dancing. Kick my ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm excited to revisit the world of Diamond Pearl because I also I really just don't remember. I, I remember mostly playing online and with my friends, so I don't really remember the single player. So we'll see. It'll be fun. Yeah. That was a big thing for me as well. And as you said, it was high school. That was my freshman year of high school that, that came out. And I, I remember it came out uh in like september also so it was like really like right when my first year of high school started and i just remember like walking to and from school playing pokemon like just looking down at my ds playing pokemon yeah, on man. my walks to and from school every single day uh, yeah which was really a nice way to play that game that was my first big game that i played like with the tv on in the background that was like my first like kind of just relax mm. turn my brain off game yeah my Skarmory was fucking, like, unmatched in that game, my friend. <laughs> I, like, I only EV trained and, like, bred to perfection my Skarmory. And, like, his moveset was uh, Whirlwind, Spikes, uh, Steel Wing, and uh, Roost. So he could God, heal himself. It's amazing that you remembered that. He could change out the enemy's team, and whenever he did, it did a little bit of damage. And then if I just had to hit him with the wing, you got it. <laughs> no one could land a hit on him. He was incredible. I love Skarmory. Yeah, yeah anyway. Skarmory's awesome. Uh, so that's brilliant diamond and shining pearl those are coming out this year um and i'm looking forward to that and i'm really curious about uh exactly what you were talking about this idea that there is now another team making pokemon games you know is this going to be a thing that continues forward like when they're done with the diamond and pearl remakes like what is that team doing next because it seems like they're established to do something um and it's probably not just make one game if i had to guess uh so i'm I'm curious to see what what yeah i wonder like i feel like there's probably a demand for remaking black and white but we're like catching up a little bit too close to the present with that i totally wonder diamond and pearl are kind of the last ones that i was hoping they would remake i don't really need anything after that yeah i agree i i think it actually might be interesting to just like make a new pokemon game but in the retro style so you have like oh yeah you know just just do something new in that world but like it doesn't have to be beholden to like you know uh any of the previous games but it's still that flavor you know it would be cool actually now i'm thinking about it a little bit it would be really interesting to see if they took black and white and black and white 2 and merged them into one game um Mm. and remade that if they did that all as one like gigantic package i think that'd be a really interesting thing and i don't know how you do that but um just from like a story perspective but i think it'd be a really interesting idea that'd be cool and that's actually that's the one pokemon game that people say like actually has a good story yeah which i i I think i agree with but just sort of by default because like none of the other ones are really trying to tell like a big name that being said yeah i still think silver and gold is the best campaign which if you want more thoughts on that listen to our crystal episode yeah, uh, we go pretty Ugh. in depth with it crystal is so good yeah that's still the peak for me like in all ways yeah but uh, anyway i'm excited a little a little teaser but uh steven and i are, i think are planning on playing emerald soon also oh i'm so excited for that yeah yeah which i i've played sapphire all the way through like more than once um but i've never played emerald and i'm really interested to see how they handle some of the story changes with having both the legendary 
secondaries on the table and then obviously the third one um, and just seeing how they handle that I think is going to be really interesting and I've heard that the end game in Emerald is awesome like when you're done with all the gyms and the Elite Four and stuff there's like a whole extra thing that happens at the end I'm really excited to explore all that oh my god yeah I think I'm gonna love it that's actually the one generation I miss Black and White 2 the only Pokemon games I haven't played in the in the mainline series are Black and White 2 and Ruby Sapphire I played Fire Red so I played the third gen like in, in a way yeah but I, I have Emerald now and I'm also gonna um, I'm planning on streaming a Nuzlocke round of Emerald which I'm very excited to share with you all so uh, yeah, you and I are gonna have very different experiences <laughs> I'm playing Emerald. <laughs> yeah, I almost w- wonder if I should like play it normally first and then do the Nuzlocke, but I also kind of want to just dive in and I try I think you it. should just do the Nuzlocke. Yeah, okay, sounds good. That's my plan. But yeah, that's good. that's going to be really cool. Also, I um my parents just got vaccinated. Woo! Oh, congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh and and I I went to go visit them um and while I was there, I like dug around all of my old stuff and I found a bunch of uh, Game Boy Advance cartridges and specifically found my leaf green cartridge. So, uh, I'm excited to play that again soon too. I think that's going to be really interesting cuz I haven't played Red and Blue in eons. Um and I don't know if I ever actually played Fire Red and Leaf Green. Um they're I, great. I, I I bought both of them uh at the time that they came out, but I don't think I actually played them. So, I'm excited to check those out too. I actually think at this point in time if if like anyone listening like hasn't played Red and Blue but wants to, I'd highly recommend just playing Fire Red or Leaf Green instead cuz like Yeah. Red and Blue are so kind of buggy at this point and like unless you just want the peak nostalgia of like the first game i think fire red and leaf green give you that world but like in a much more like much more modern way even though it's still old but it just feels like it's better built yeah um, and has a lot of the features you would want in a more modern pokemon game or alternatively uh, let's go pikachu and eevee yes i was just about to say if you don't have any way of playing fire red or leaf green but you do have a switch uh yeah. let's go pikachu and eevee great i mean we've yeah. said that a lot on this show but uh, totally we, we are proponents of those games specifically kind of in a pokemon snap lens of like enjoying the setting i think that game like really focused on atmosphere and setting above all else you can ride an arcanine around come on dude yeah that's the best thing introduce pokemon riding back into all mainline games which i really hope they have in the next game we're going to talk about oh my god yeah there's a third game we have to talk about i was like oh let's take a break and then move on to the next (laughs) thing but yeah there's like the big announcement yeah uh hit hit me with it what was it pokemon legends arceus (gasps) right (gasps) arceus Arceus, sorry, sorry, God. I think I think everybody in the world has been pronouncing it Arceus, and then in the direct they said Arceus, and I saw like a billion tweets that were like, "That's how you're supposed to say it." Uh, I'm wondering if it's a GIF GIF thing where like now mm. there's going to be like a whole contingent of people who are like, "No, no, no, I'm still saying Arceus." That's like an, an FF10. The main character's name is Titus. No one ever says his name out loud because you can name him, right. which is actually like a you like I would assume they did, but they actually never do. Yeah. But then in Kingdom Hearts. Waka calls Titus Titus. <gasps> He's like, hey, Titus and I love playing Blitzball. And oh, it's my like, God. oh my God. I don't want, I, I, I just prefer Titus without getting too into it. Yeah, I don't like that at all. <laughs> anyway, Titus aside, this game, uh, I assume that Diamond and Pearl Remix were the final announcement because that's something that's been asked for. And like you said, has been this kind of long awaited rumor by the more kind of hardcore, I guess, side of the fandom, which like I have to say, like through gritted teeth sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, they followed that announcement with like, 
here is the new like mainline entry in the series and what we see is like a very breath of the wild looking open world game that shows like trainers running around this big natural environment that's set in kind of like a feudal japan era in Sinnoh. so it's like kind of an older era of Sinnoh, which i think might be alluding to this idea that like at one point all the continents were connected in like a, a mm. pangea but that's just a guess but anyway it's the game that everyone expected sword and shield to be and was like angry as hell that it wasn't which is unfair so like i was really i did not ever expect them to take this risk like seeing a trainer kind of throw like horizon zero dawn style throw a pokeball at, like a whooper or something <laughs> yeah and uh so it's From, basically like, like, for, like while hiding in tall grass yeah. you know it was wild yeah there's like there there were a lot of uh interesting actions i think that, that we saw the player taking in terms of like sneaking around like diving and rolling into into tall grass to like hide and like kind of be yeah. stealthy around other pokemon it seems like battles are still turn-based but like the world I, I imagine the battles will have some type of real-time component maybe but regardless the environment and wandering around it are all kind of what everyone has been kind of waiting for and how so many fan games have like tried to make that yeah. have been like immediately sued by nintendo so <laughs> i i just was amazed by it i i never i never would have expected them to take this risk with the with the series and i think it goes back to us saying like there's this sort of retro here's what you can expect from like most pokemon game series like the diamond and pearl remakes on the side and then on the main series they can do stuff like this and kind of explore in in a much different you know style of game I think it looks really cool. I mean, again, it's something that I, I will have to play before like, I really know. But I just think like the ambition here is really unmatched by any other game. And it kind of is our prediction of like the wild area being a testing bed for like what does it look like when the pokemon game is the wild area yep, yep. it's breath of the wild area basically it's just it's just <laughs> that um and and it looks like you can choose like any starter from any of the generations which is really fun are you so, sure like, i thought it was just those three i think it's i think it's just cyndaquil rowlet and oshawott it showed like I, I maybe i'm wrong but i remember a shot showing like one of them was a different generation so i think it might be more open either way I, I, I think the idea of, like, exploring this environment with your Pokemon, I'm really hoping there's, like, some type of thing, like, can I ride my Pokemon? Like, are, are there different utilities for different Pokemon? Like, mm-hmm. will this one, will my Tangela help me hide in the bushes from enemies? <laughs> will will my uh, Infernape be able to climb stuff? I imagine there'll be something like that, given, like, how open this is. It would be a missed opportunity if it wasn't. But yeah, I, I was blown away. I'm really excited to see what this is, and I'd love to see more information on it. But yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe they took this big of a risk with it. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp. I'm like, I, I, I was just really really shocked that this was one of the announcements and i am i'm i think i'm a little bit more skeptical than you but still like wildly optimistic about what we have seen and like if i was to just get my hands on the thing that i saw in that trailer uh, what my expectations would be are like if i had to guess honestly and and like maybe the the most pessimistic take that i could possibly have is like you just have that one village and like the area maybe isn't like as big as we're hoping but like is still essentially like you know multiple times the size of the wild area um, and has like an interesting, compelling story about like putting together the first Pokedex and finding fucking God out in the mountains, um, <laughs> which like is cool. That's a cool idea. I'm down for that. If it's like if it's even close to like a normal size Pokemon game in terms of like size and length, it just I'm I'm in, you know, um, I, the, the idea of running around an open world Pokemon game in general is exciting. It was exciting in the wild area in general. I thought that that was a really thrilling thing. Yeah. Um, and, and taking that and like multiplying that to full game size is, is cool. I am a little bit like 
I don't know if I'm if I really buy the idea that Game Freak is going to like actually match like what Nintendo proper has done with Breath of the Wild, but I'm still right. really excited about what's there. And the fact that they're even trying means that they're probably going to continue it. trying and make yes. it better in the future. Um, and as we know and have talked about a lot, a lot, even in this episode already, Game Freak is so iterative about their process. Like every game is just like a little bit better than the last one or like is taking a, a couple more things uh, into the future or like adding a couple more quality of life improvements. Um, which j- tend to almost like iPhones in a way. It's like it's really not that different between the 10 and the 11, but like <laughs> the 11 is better than the 10. That's kind of how I felt about the Pokemon games over the years. Um, you know, you can have your your opinions of which one you actually like the best, you know, here and there. But like in terms of quality of life stuff, they tend to get better. And this sure. is like starting from scratch. Like this is this is so outside of the realm of what Game Freak usually does that it, it, it's such like a left turn that I think you're right on the money about opening this new studio and having having the diamond and pearl remakes because like this might just be them like learning how to make a pokemon game so they can go forward and continue those like top-down 2d games that people want while game freak proper iterates on this new thing that they've kind of uh, conceived of um so even if this is like smaller in scope than maybe the trailer alluded to i think it's still like a really exciting step forward for the franchise in general uh, yeah. and i'm like really 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 intrigued by it and i think it's gonna be cool as an experiment or maybe just good like with no qualifications like those are i think kind of the two camps that i'm in yeah you said it beautifully where like even if this game is not good or not successful what they're like aiming for here the fact that they're even trying this is like a really cool step and that's kind of where i'm at it's like i'm just so impressed by the effort here and i mean like you know there's plenty to be critical of of nintendo and of game freak of uh and i think the pokemon series you can criticize for like being a little bit too beholden to the past sometimes as much as they tweak things here or there like there was there was that era of diamond and pearl and black and white where everyone was like come on we <laughs> we yeah. can we can pick up the pace a little bit but that being said i mean like without getting too into it i feel like sometimes it's disappointing that like any time pokemon announces anything it's like met with like just a wave of pessimism and negativity. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, I, I think it's always worth remembering that like, it seems like if you look at the the history of them releasing Let's Go and Sword and Shield and now this game, it's like they're clearly trying to do a lot of things for a lot of different audiences. Like Pokemon is almost worth viewing as Nintendo themselves, like, or like a separate entity that is as big as Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, know? like, like, from a legal business perspective, like they are yeah. actually a completely different company. Like Nintendo has a controlling stake in the Pokemon company, but they are their own entity, which is why yeah. you saw two different directs and things like that. Yeah. I just, I, I just assumed that like Pokemon and Game Freak like didn't care about like they just were trying to make games to to appeal to the most audiences possible and that's also fine like you and i liked let's go and that clearly was kind of marketed to either a younger audience or a newer audience and that was important it served its role and this seems so clearly to be like this is for kind of older fans or people that have been with the series for a long time i'm just really baffled that anyone could be disappointed by this announcement to be honest like not to not to just be submissive and accept everything like always be critical you've you and i have said fuck nintendo out loud multiple times on the show <laughs> we're not like trying to be yes men to corporations in any way but i just think like i have to respect when when a company that is like 
you know, they're kind of in a similar situation to Sony where they could easily just be like, what we've done worked. Why even bother changing? We're just going to print the same shit over and over again and make a billion dollars. You know, they could easily just do that. And they haven't. And I think that's cool. That's that's risky. Um, And it could pay off in a big way creatively and artistically. So I'm excited to see how it manifests, even if it's less successful than I hope it to be. I think it's a cool effort. Yeah. This is like the equivalent of like EA making a FIFA game that's like Grand Theft Auto in terms of an open <laughs> world that allows you to like travel between the the football stadiums that you need to play at, you know? Right, right. It, that's that's it's like yeah, they could easily just make Pokemon into FIFA where it's the same thing over and over again and it's I don't know, it's just like it's worth it, it's a big conversation, but I just like it. Just seems like sometimes there there are groups of fandoms that are like never going to be happy, and they like actively make themselves angry no matter what. Yeah, um, yeah, which is a bummer. It was it was really interesting in in the case of this game specifically to see the swing happen, where like it got announced and everyone was like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" And then like two to three hours later was when like the threads that started percolating to the top where like the well the frame rate looked bad it's like this game first of all is a year out like we, we just saw a trailer for a game that comes out next year we yeah. don't really know when next year it might be i think they said early 2022 which is like probably march adjacent i would imagine if i had to guess but like there's gonna be another year of work on this game uh so like i don't know maybe cut a little slack until it comes yeah out. and there's a certain lens to this too where at the end of the day this is all ice cream like that no one owes us anything it's just fun like it's just like it's all extra yeah as yeah. you said the announcement could have been like we're done making pokemon sorry yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> we're deleting the game off your switch <laughs> yeah and again i'm not trying to i'm not trying to like tell anyone to not you can feel however you want you can be disappointed if you hated this announcement that's fine but when it becomes like you have to take out that anger on other people like chill it's just pokemon it's really not a big deal <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think i, th- I think a, a big chunk of it to me comes down to like it's a lot of people very upset about a thing that's not for them anymore and and yeah. they just like wish that it was still for them which like i can kind of get from one perspective but also like move on if it's not for you anymore like find something else that kind of fills that void i think yeah there are so many games and so many games inspired by pokemon and the irony too is like if i took anything from this announcement it's like this all three of these announcements are like retro in some spirit you know yeah absolutely these announcements are for longtime fans especially the diamond and pearl remix you know Mm -hmm. and like i think that there's clearly an attempt to like kind of reinvigorate that part of the fan base after as much as we like sword and shield that was kind of a hit or miss reaction yeah Uh, let's go Eevee was for a more casual audience which like again there's a place for that but people lost their fucking minds so at this point it just seems like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what's announced sorry I think I think on the note of Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee 2 is like you and I went into it with the understanding of what that game was and who it was for because they announced like with the announcement of that game had a very clear intentionality behind who they were building that game for yeah so if you go in with that expectation if you're not going in with the expectation that this is going to be like the new mainline pokemon game for everyone specifically for hardcore fans who download like the pokemon battle online uh software you know like you're gonna probably have a good time with it like if you if you kind of meet the expectations where the pokemon company was trying to set them with that announcement and that's very much I, i i'm with you how i feel about all three of these announcements is like pokemon snap is for everyone and like always has been for everyone and it also has the added benefit of kind of appeasing like the more nostalgic fan base from the n64 era which is wonderful the diamond and pearl remakes are like very clearly like made for 
the people who love Diamond and Pearl back in the day, but also because of the art style is appealing to a younger audience who is like, you know, still getting into Pokemon, which is, you know, right. as, as we mentioned before, the number one intellectual property on the planet in terms of like money making. Yes. The Pokemon company very much knows what they're doing. And, and uh, the Diamond and Pearl remakes seem to really be like honing in on exactly what they want that to be. And I think Pokemon Legends to me just feels like this big bold experiment and I don't know who it's for but I think it's going to be cool regardless you know yeah like that weirdly is the one that seems although it's what everyone has asked for for like eons it's just like this big open world Pokemon game it just feels the most I would say abstract in form and I don't really know who the intended audience for that is I imagine that'll take place over the course of development like we'll probably see more in trailers and announcements and things like that Um, but it's still like really exciting but I think even just between Snap and Diamond and Pearl, you've represented the whole of the Pokemon fan base. Legends, as you said, is just ice cream. It's just dessert. <laughs> right. I think I think every I mean, at the end of the day, it's like I just think it's really worth remembering that like no none of these companies owe you anything. You know, like <laughs> yeah. you can love things and you can wish for things, and you can be disappointed by things without like taking it out in the replies. That's like something worth remembering. Um yeah. this is coming from someone who like is a fan of the series and also is a fan of Bioware, which is this constant disappointment and like toxicity. <laughs> It's like the worst toxic relationship you can have. Uh, But, you know, it's just like in doing this show, I've just learned there's so much out there that like to pretend that there's like no good games and you're waiting, you're putting all this pressure and onus on this one company or one team to like serve every desire of yours that you've made up for yourself. It's it's almost like you're looking forward to the anger above anything else. So you don't actually want to be appeased. You want to be angry. Yeah. Because if you want to be appeased, you can go play Temtem right now. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You can go play Dragon Quest V on your on your smartphone. Like there are a lot of games out there. You should. It's great. Anyway. Yeah, I think that that sums it up. I'm I'm very excited, and I think uh, you know we'll we'll wait and see. This could all be total busts, and that's fine. Um, yeah, but you know I, I I'm pretty optimistic that we'll enjoy them for what they're worth. Yeah, and I, I I think actually just to double down on that point, I I think it's very possible. I'll say possible that like these games could come out, and you and I could just be like, whoops, <laughs> you know, Ow, like, this one Because uh, even yeah. even Sword and Shield, which you and I were like pretty keen on when it came out, like weirdly enough i think it was a couple episodes ago uh you and i had that like moment of realization where i like i actually like wrote out my ranks of where i placed all the pokemon games in order and i was just like oh yeah sword and shield are actually like pretty close to the bottom for me i still enjoyed them but like they're pretty close to the bottom for me so like i I just think uh, you and i are not coming at this as you said from a place of like we love you shinra (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's always about judging by intention i i I mean even in our first episode about certain shield after it came out i said like if you're expecting this to be the big bold step for the series it's not but it's a really successful follow-up to sun and moon that's kind of where i still stand absolutely it's like it's a really good sequel to the 3DS X and Y era. And I think kind of like Black and White was this transition between Diamond and Pearl and X and Y. It feels like Sword and Shield is like this kind of charmeleon between uh, mm-hmm. the 3DS era and Legends. Yeah. And so. honestly, again, going into this announcement, my expectation was like, okay, we're going to we're gonna hear more about Pokemon Snap. We might hear about the MOBA probably. My like biggest, boldest wish was that we would get uh, a Pokemon Sleep update because that would just make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> haven't heard about it since they announced it yeah um and then my like worst case scenario was that we were going to get like sharpened sword and blunter shield you know <laughs> stay tuned for more news on very sword <laughs> <laughs> and even more shield <laughs> 
I mean, that's basically Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are like not good titles. <laughs> I think they're very funny, but you know, it's Shining Pearl. Maybe I don't know. I mean, you can't really. Yeah, I, th- I think they could have come up with something besides Brilliant for Diamond. Brilliant Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> multifaceted carrot diamond <laughs> uh yeah um but i'm excited you want to move on to the next segment yeah wow that was much longer than i thought that was going to be Dude, Absolutely. it was a series of pokemon announcements it's always chaos it always ends up taking an hour yeah let's uh take a break and uh, we'll come back and talk about some 2021 video games can you Woo-hoo! believe it 20 we're here baby enough of this 2006 bullshit <laughs> <laughs> Freshman year was terrible. <laughs> I fucking hated it. <laughs> so many new things, thoughts, and feelings. <laughs> Who am I? That's the sound of Venonat's breeding. <laughs> Look at them pounce in the wild. They lay eggs, kind of caviar esque, that take flight like dandelion fluff. Look, one mishatched. Beautiful. I was just born. <laughs> Venonat venonat. with like the Meowth virus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I learned how to talk by watching ballet. (laughs) That's true. It's an episode. Meowth is like in the attic of this French ballet thing. Maybe I dreamt that, but I'm pretty sure there's an episode of the Pokemon show about that. Okay, let's take a break. That's why they they explain how Meowth (laughs) learns to talk. Yeah, and, it, and, he, and it's <laughs> and it's he lived in an attic above a, above I think a ballet he learns studio. French first because it's like un deux trois, and he's like watching it. And he's like un deux trois. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, let me look this up. Hold on, I need to know how can Meowth talk when no one else talks? Team Rocket's Meowth is the only non-legendary Pokemon that can speak human. Oh, there's a Reddit thread. Let's see what this says. One moment. He learned how to speak human in Hollywood. He was a stray Pokemon. He met a Meowth named Meowzy who rejected him. What is this? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> what episode is Meowth under talk? Go West Meowth is the episode. Okay. Go West Young Meowth. Okay. What happens here? Was this a dream I had? Bulbapedia, what do you got? Meowth came across a rundown mansion, recalling his time there. Back in the day, the mansion was home to an academy that taught students upper class etiquette. Through spying on one of the classrooms, he'd learned, albeit slowly, how to walk, the drawback being that he got caught more often whenever he tried to steal food. Eventually, he had also managed to speak human, again, from observing the classes. The first word he understood was rocket. <laughs> Foreshadowing. At this point, okay. Yeah, so he, le- he like watched etiquette classes and learned how to talk and walk. It seems like it's not that difficult to teach a Pokemon to speak then. Yeah, if that's all it takes, like why aren't Caterpies like, hello? <laughs> 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 Welcome to Viridian Forest. Don't mind the bugs. We're full of ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, would you like to buy some textiles? <laughs> Can I make you a shirt? <laughs> <laughs> but the finest silk from my mouth hole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we gotta stop. We gotta take a break. <laughs> Get us out of here. AJ, pull me off with the cane. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Hey, Steven. Hey, I want to hear about 2021 games, please. Oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> boy, have I got one for you. Um, okay. 
I, re- I received a gift recently from a friend. Uh, you know who you are. Thank you so much. Um, I, I received a gift of a game that I was like kind of tentatively interested in um, and have been playing a lot more than I thought I was going to play. It's a game that I know you played the demo of and did not enjoy and did not bring to the show. Um, so I, I think it's going to make for a fruitful conversation. Uh, but I've been playing Bravely <laughs> yeah. Default 2, believe it or not, um, <gasps> for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Nintendo's first oh, okay. big 2021 release. Yeah. Which I, I think we mentioned <laughs> recently in our uh, in our follow-up to the Nintendo Direct, because Nintendo Direct had a little bit about Bravely Default 2. And if I recall yeah. correctly, my bit about that game was something along the lines of, like, it makes me sad to watch Nintendo uh, promote this game because it just seems like I am seeing no excitement about it, despite the amount of money that Nintendo is putting behind trying to promote it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to keep it short and not to be too negative, I played the first one and found it to be a very frustrating experience because I loved the environment design. I thought the battles had an interesting mechanic to them, but I just like actively hated my time with the story and most of the characters. <laughs> um, and in the spirit of the show, I, I checked out the demo because I'm like, okay, I'm already put off by the character design of the sequel and like the advertisements, are, despite how many I'm getting targeted, are not doing anything for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I checked out the demo just to give it a fair shake and and had a dreadful time with it so i'm excited to hear what you think because i i without being mean i just have no interest in this game at all so maybe you'll change my mind but we'll see i was i was like iffy on it i think part of it is like i'm in this weird uh rpg renaissance on my end at least where i'm playing like every rpg i can get my hands on simultaneously for some reason so I, I was a little bit interested in Bravely Default 2. I wasn't expecting on checking it out like at launch, honestly. And I knew your relationship with the demo because we had talked about maybe talking about the demo like way back when it came out um, and, and decided not to because, again, the show is generally more positive than not uh, when, when we bring stuff to the table. Yeah. But that said, I was curious about checking it out myself because it seems to be as a franchise just like the most throwbacky shit possible. You know, it's like, let's just take everything from every JRPG and every RPG you loved from like the Super Nintendo era and just like mash it into a game. It seems to be like what they're kind of trying to do. And there are a couple little tweaks here and there to modernize it uh, a bit. But that that seems to be like the audience that they're shooting for is like specifically that audience. And it seemed yeah. like at least from my conversations with you about the first one and your time with the the demo um, was that like for you, the person that this game I think is more for than anyone else. <laughs> it, it was not effective. Um, no. And I was curious if like now given the amount of RPGs that I have played and consumed and like figured out what I like and dislike if it would be for me and I guess just like top line I am liking it way more than I thought I was going to um, because I think it was kind of up in the air if I was even going to bring it up on the show um, and I've very slow slowly like a gradient kind of gone from like really 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 disliking it to like thinking okay there's some cool stuff here to like oh i'm actually having a good time now i'm not having like a great time i'm not saying like this is a game that you absolutely need to go get it's definitely not like a must buy on the nintendo switch or whatever so but that said like it is something that is doing a a very specific idea very effectively um and that idea to me really is encapsulated in just like establishing a vibe that allows you to tune out which I don't know if that's what they're going for. And I have to assume that it's not 
<laughs> so but I don't think so. Yeah. As a game, I'm finding it to be like an extremely chill time and a perfect game to just like have on while I'm like watching something. Uh, almost exactly what you were talking about with Diamond and Pearl. This game kind of fills that void for me where like going around and and playing the game via like the battles and like a story that I could care less about really is, is just kind of allowing me to uh play it like as like with one half of my brain and and there are enough things that they've included in the game from like a quality of life standpoint that i actually think that this might be what they're going for like there are there are hints here and there that like maybe what they actually wanted was this for example you can speed up the battles like five times there's like a five times speed on the battle thing you can uh, go into the settings and like map some stuff so uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what brave and default mean um i, I won't get too into it because god uh but anyway <laughs> you can you can map like brave and default to the shoulder button so like you could just fly through battles like uh, really cool. really really fast on top of that there's some stuff where like for there's a there's an offline mode in this game that i think is incredible that i really really love which i actually have running right now as you and i are recording the podcast but there's a there's a thing where you can like you can make your character hop on a boat and when you're not playing the game you can put your switch in sleep mode and your character will like sail around the world and like meet other player characters online uh, and you'll like trade items and like get items back and it's really really lovely and wonderful and all the items you get back are like permanent like experience upgrades and job points and like stat upgrades and things like that that you can apply to your characters to kind of like hyper level them so like anytime you're asleep for like 12 hours you can just like send them out on a ship and then the next morning when you wake up and you check it back in the game like you just level up all your characters which is really awesome i I think it's wonderful so with that stuff in mind it kind of feels like that's what they're going for but i think like the stuff that you didn't like about it is really not good <laughs> um yeah, like that's, i yeah, am yeah. <laughs> i am so with you on all this stuff and i i think the reason i want to talk about the diamond and pearl remakes before bravely default 2 is like to me bravely default 2 is what could go wrong with a chibi art style yes whereas absolutely. it's really working for me in diamond and pearl because it feels like a modern adaptation of those top-down sprites that we got on those games absolutely. on the ds in bravely default 2 everyone looks like a small child doll and i can't take anyone seriously because of it um um, it's very silly. So who in the room was like, let's do chibi designs, but give them hyper-realistic cheekbones and hips and eyelids. It's like, ew, what? And everyone has, their hands are a little too small. It just looks like, it looks like they inadvertently made like Coraline designs, but didn't want to be creepy. So you have these kind of like Tim Burton like shapes, but like with like for like, it's just so unintendedly nightmarish. Yeah. And it, and it never gets better as far as I've seen. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm like six hours into the game, believe it or not. And, wow, and you, you play a lot of it. Yeah, I played way more than I thought I was going to. Um, but that said, uh, at no point have I been like, I like these characters now. Like, the, the, of of the shift in opinion I've had on this game, the character design has not really swayed at all. Um, I Every time I'm in a cutscene, I'm just like, I, I loathe to watch this. Like, I just do not care. Um, and I think that brings me to this, my second point. Which is, if this game is a throwback to, like, every uh, Super Nintendo RPG, it really fails in, like, figuring out what was special about those storylines that people cared about. Oh, yeah. Because when it comes down to it, it really is the characters that pull you through those stories, you know, because in a lot of instances, the stories, even in those games that people look back on fondly, are not the driving force you know a lot of them are just kind of like very bland and this game doesn't really have like super interesting characters as far as i've seen so far 
nor is the story anything to write home about. I wouldn't I wouldn't even like go out and get stamps to write home. You know, like I, I wouldn't even like <laughs> consider it because the story really just boils down to there are four elemental crystals and you have to get them from the evil guy. Like that's the video game. And that right. I, I have found to be very disappointing. But again, there is so much stuff in the game that I'm finding joyful uh, that I'm almost willing to overlook it because so much of what's happening mechanically and aesthetically is working for me. Uh, and, and that's really where the shift has happened is like in the opening hours and I think where the demo takes place because what, what what is the demo actually if you don't mind me asking i blocked it out man i don't know it's, it's you're, you're, you're in <laughs> sorry i don't mean to be so mean you're in like a desert area and you're talking with your friend elvis uh and Oof. he's like we have to find the crystal and then i turned it off <laughs> <laughs> um okay so you're in a desert area so that would actually put you in the first chapter of the game um so that's that's after the prologue which is like five whole hours so i'll I'll say this much then the the prologue is mostly story and character building and i find that all of that has been a failure uh which like is a bummer to say but i i didn't really enjoy any of it and it was in the moments that the game kind of like loosened the reins a little bit and allowed me to wander the world um and just like continue to battle things and do side quests where I've really found the fun here. And that yeah. was kind of my thing was like, I'm going to play this game and see if I can find the fun because I, again, knew that you weren't like a huge fan of the demo uh, or the first game. And I, I really think that I've, I found it just in the vibe. Um, it does exactly what you and I love about Dragon Quest when it's not focusing on the story. So like the the act of being in the world and the the way the the actual like overworld and the town maps and, and the, the audio scape and just like, the soundtrack uh, kind of all meld together really, really, really solidifies in this like just very nice place to be. And I've really, really enjoyed that. I've had a really good time um, just wandering around fighting enemies uh, and and just like fulfilling side quests in all the towns. I have not enjoyed doing the main quest really at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that makes sense. I mean, uh, similar thing with the first game. Like I, I was supposed to review the first game for the first site we worked for. Yeah. And I put a lot of time into it. So like I really wanted to like that game. So like yeah. this this like again uncharacteristic kind of unpassionate loathing of mine <laughs> is is from a place of really concentrated effort. Cuz yeah. like the first game similar to the second one, the settings are beautiful. Like the environment design and the music, like you said, are very successful. And the idea of uh, the brave and default system that the original game launched with was actually a very clever idea that I think was taken and utilized really well in Octopath Traveler, uh, which I think is actually a very good comparison game to make. So like I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Octopath is a game that you and I both really enjoyed that did have some serious flaws, specifically with the story. But the thing about Octopath is that the story isn't bad it just doesn't exist <laughs> it's like truly <laughs> yeah. it, it's like kind of there and it's not great but the design of the characters and the design of everything and the combat was so fun that like you're saying with this game i really enjoyed being an octopath and i eventually moved on because i didn't care enough about the story but it was successful enough in those two areas to make it work for me. The thing about Bravely Default is that I find the characters in the story so off-putting that it like really negates even that aspect of like, oh, I enjoy being here and just leveling up. Like I don't, because I just don't even want to be with these characters at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that's kind of what what bumped me away from it. But I think your your enjoyment of the game is kind of uh alongside a lot of the more positive reviews I've read. Uh I think the most positive was the IGN review where the writer said, like, I like 
a game that I can just grind while I'm like doing laundry. And that seems like what this game is. It's like it's something you kind of do in the background, almost like an idle game. Yes, uh, that, you, you, you know, actually in in this little bit have brought up the two things that I was going to bring up. Number one being Octopath Traveler, number two being idle games. Um, so just to get the second one out of the way, I think that it is scratching the idle game itch for me uh, in yeah. a way that a lot of idle games I've tried recently have not. And I think that's really wonderful. Um, and they're is really something to be said for the fact that there is an offline mode where your character just kind of sails around islands and collects experience boosting items for you while you're not playing it. Incredible. That's like that's like exactly what I want out of an idle game, um, which is wonderful. The thing about Octopath Traveler and the connection that I was going to make there is very similar in that I think Octopath Traveler really succeeded in, as you said, uh, visual aesthetic, soundtrack, and mechanics. I, I, I really enjoyed the battle system in that game, but that can really only take you so far. Like those three elements can only take you so far if the story and the characters really aren't compelling at all. Where Bravely Default kind of fills in some gaps that I didn't even realize Octopath Traveler had, I think, until playing Bravely Default 2, is that there's so much to do outside of just like experiencing the visuals and the soundtrack and the battle system that I, I think it's it's more compelling and will keep me around longer than Octopath did. For example, even just the act of wandering around the overworld, there's a very simple mechanic that I think is really wonderful where you just have the ability, like in Zelda, to use your sword to cut the grass in the overworld. And doing so will sometimes give you an item. And sometimes those items are like way beyond your level or like incredible. So it kind of uh, gives you this idle task to do while you're making your way from point A to point B. Uh, you could be fighting monsters, but you could also simultaneously be just like cutting the grass, which is funny. It just turns everybody into a landscaper, but it sometimes is extremely rewarding. Uh, and I found that to be really interesting. There's the whole job system that I think is really cool, which uh, yeah, I'll, that's I'll, very successful. Yeah. yeah, which I'll go into a little bit, which essentially just means that like there are a bunch of classes that you can switch between um, everybody for the most part, except for one character in your party when you start uh, starts as a freelancer, which just means like you can use any weapon and the uh, abilities that you unlock as you you get like more job points and level up your job really are just like very basic things. It's like, OK, you get the ability to examine an enemy and see what their weak point is. You get the ability to uh, try and steal an item from the enemy. Your your passive abilities are like sometimes you'll cure yourself or sometimes you'll get more experience from battles or, or like the kinds of things you get from freelancer. But then there's like black mage, which like as you level that up, you get more spells, believe it or not. There's white mage, same thing, but for like healing magic. There's another system that's called the or there's another job that's called the Vanguard, which is like all about having a sword and shield and like being kind of a, a tank um, and equipping that as, or like making that your main job uh, allows you to just kind of have more uh, uh, health and defense and things like that. Um, you know, it just makes you a tankier character. There are other ones like Monk where like you can't hold, a, a, actually, you know, you can hold a weapon as a Monk, um, but it allows you to do some like really interesting um, some really interesting moves that allow you to like counter every time somebody tries to attack that character. Things like that. Um, so you can at any time have a main job equipped, which is the one you're actually leveling up, but also simultaneously, if you've leveled up another job, so like for example, if you spend a lot of time uh, focusing on freelancer and then switch that person to another thing, you can set your freelancer job as the sub job. So you maintain all of those abilities and passive abilities that you've accumulated as that job while also leveling up whatever you have as your main, um, which has led me to this point where like a couple hours in, I have almost maxed out everybody's freelancer job, which allows me to just have this passive ability where I'm getting more experience and more job points for whatever I have set as the main job. So now I'm like starting to actually class these people and you can very easily switch any character into any job that you want. So uh, that character that you mentioned earlier, Elvis, who starts as a black mage, 
Like, you could very easily turn him into, like, a Sword and Shield Knight if you want to. I would say it maybe doesn't behoove you to do that because he already has so many points in Black Mage and has so many things unlocked. But that said, you could switch that to the sub-job. So you could be, like, a, a tank, like a Sword and Shield tank who also knows the ability to set everyone on the field on fire, um, which is honestly a compelling and cool idea that I might try after I'm done recording this. But that said, I think I think the job system is really interesting. Um, and I do think the Brave and Default system in, in the battles are, are is kind of cool. Can I just say real quick, yeah. I'm so proud out of you hearing you explain to me what black mages are like this warm my heart so dearly I'm like <laughs> you have come so far from the man who said i don't like rpgs so like and then monks can only use monk weapons but you can class as <laughs> pop star and that I, i'm just in awe this is my heaven great i think you're i think you're right though just a quick comment on the job thing that was something that actually was an octopath as well mm-hmm. but it took a little bit more time to get like you needed to play I thought the it game was for awful. like I had a really bad time with the job and class oh, wow. system in Octopath. Like in 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 the long term aggregate, I had a really difficult time like making the decision to make somebody whatever job or class it was. Whereas in Bravely Default Two, it is literally as easy as opening the menu and just being like, "Now yeah. you're this. Now you're this. Now you're this." I will say like it. If there is a single selling point for Bravely Default as a series, it is that. That was something that was really fun in the first one as well. And there were really interesting classes like Popstar or Banker that were just like so out there and like silly. There is one in Bravely Default 2 that I have seen uh, allusions to in uh, some like posts on the Nintendo Switch subreddit, which is like the game actually just turns into Pokemon at a certain point where like, <laughs> you can just capture all of the enemies. Um, That's awesome. You, be, you become, I think, a beast master um, is what they call it. But like it, I'm really interested to see some of those like weird kind of end game, like experimenting with the mechanics and like really wild ways. Uh, yeah, jobs that totally. You can switch to. I totally agree. And I think like when you were saying before, like, what is the target audience for this? This is this seems like it's the successor to specifically Final Fantasy V, which is one of the few I haven't played. But that was the Final Fantasy that purposely chose to tell like a more lighthearted story and focus entirely on the combat. And they introduced that was like the game that introduced the job system where you can like switch it around and stuff. Yeah. And I think you also see that in the Final Fantasy Tactics games in a really fun way, too. So there's definitely a place for this. This sounds like so my shit. It just I wish the character design was better. And then I think I'd be in. Like, I think if if the characters didn't look as off putting as they do, I think I could put up with like a, a campy story. But like yeah. both is a lot to swallow, especially when it's like a lot of the game, you know, mm-hmm. like if they like, OK, you're here for the battles. We're not even going to really focus on the story. That would, I think, be better suited for it. But yeah, it sounds like it sounds like it's very it, it is very invested in playing with a mechanic that like there's definitely a big place for in the RPG world. Yeah, I, I yes, exactly. Um, I, I put it in the same place in my brain as a solo, a Star Wars story in a weird way. <laughs> where like, Come on where <laughs> sorry I, I love you and I love your metaphors but this is similar to Mario RPGs is Coldplay where I'm like do you just want to talk about this other thing <laughs> I, do, I do not want to talk about solo Star Wars story okay. but I'm going to bring that it up anyway um, okay go ahead my my vibe with that movie was essentially like the dude who was playing Han Solo is so bad at being Han Solo that I could not see him as that character at all I see the connection yeah, yeah, w- yeah. within the first 10 minutes my brain was like that's not Han Solo that's a person who just happens to have Han Solo name and this movie is completely unrelated to that character that they're trying to uh, portray and when you take that view of that movie it's very successful it's a really good and interesting star wars movie that's doing like surprisingly cool stuff um but is like terrible as a han solo movie this game is kind of the same thing where like (laughs) 
the the story and is so low stakes and the characters are so unbelievable and so like wild to look at and see interact in any way shape or form that my brain just like chooses to ignore it um, <laughs> yeah 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 and and what's left is like a really fun and compelling game where i just kind of like run around and have a good time and like enjoy the world and and because of that i think i'm going to play a lot more of this game believe it or not and and a lot of that will just be me being like, yeah, I don't know what's going on with these crystals. I don't really care that much. Like when the villain shows up, it is like sh- it it is like um those uh pro ZD videos, you know, where he, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> the world isn't perfect. Yeah. yeah, it is like literally that. It I, yeah every single time. And then of course, like that's not the main villain. There's another villain who looks even more ridiculously like a villain uh, who is leading that other villain. Like that kind of stuff is like very prevalent. Like. Uh, I think as we talked about with a lot of Dark Souls likes, the thing that makes people love Dark Souls are not the noise on the menu and the bonfires <laughs> and the fog walls. This game seems to think that the things that people liked about those like Super Nintendo RPGs are the fact that there are elemental crystals that you need to acquire <laughs> and, and a villain who goes like <laughs> mortals, <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And that's, I, I and totally that's not the case at all, which is like a huge bummer that like that's where they've over indexed a lot of the focus here. Um, right. But again, just just to again put a cap on it everything else is great and i'm having a really really good time with it um but there were like two hours of the game that i really actively hated an hour that i thought was pretty good and now another two hours that i'm like i'm having a good time now that i've found where my interest lies here in the in the first bravely default without spoiling there's like a giant like wild plot twist in the middle and the revealed villain literally goes like after 10 million years i'm free like, oh my the beginning god of like, like yeah. power rangers yeah yeah uh, it's <laughs> I have to even respect that effort because I'm like, okay, because the twist is like actually bananas, but like not in a good way. But I was like, okay, you're doing something other than crystals. I'll bite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did you want to briefly talk about the Bravely and Default system? Because we brought that up moments ago, but we didn't really get into it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, all, if I remember correctly, in the first game, it was default was defend, but you got like an action point, And then if you spend it on the next turn, you could do two actions in one move. So pretty like, much. Yeah. So so yeah. at any point, you can press the L button to, to default your turn when it's like a character's turn. Um, and that allows them to next time it's their turn, do two actions. The brave system allows you to do more than one action in a turn. What is, I think, kind of interesting, I don't know if this is in the first one, I have to imagine it is. But what's kind of interesting is like on your first turn, for example, you could use the brave action four times and you could do four attacks on your very first turn. But that means for the next three turns, you need to just sit there and be completely wide open because you have like negative action points. So you need to like work your way back up to zero by just like standing there idly and just taking hits, which is like maybe not the best idea. (laughs) But it's a cool system. In some instances, when you're just running around like grinding, for example, it's great because you could just have all four of your party members use four attacks right at the top and wipe out everyone on the enemy side before they even attack and then move on to the next enemy. And again, when you can put the game into five times speed on battle mode, it allows you to just fly through grinding in a way that is like really mindless. And I, I can't believe it because in a lot of games, I really, really loathe grinding. I think that was actually one of the things that made me a little less keen on the uh, Dragon Quest Eleven like end game stuff was like, oh, I'm in a point now where i like actually have to grind to be able to progress um that i wasn't like super stoked about and i kind of also hit that with lost odyssey recently and and in this game it's actually really fun uh because they put so much quality of life kind of focus on making sure that it's not super uh daunting to have to do that 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a tough balance. I weirdly enjoyed it in Dragon Quest XI just because I was so smitten by everything in that game. So yeah. I'm like, you know, but it, it's still something that's very hard to pull off. And I think like the more RPGs we play and the more we invest in Dragon Quest, we can see like how hard it is to design a game like that. You know, like there's a really totally. delicate balance there. But I'm glad you're having fun with it. I, I don't mean to uh to be a naysayer to the world of bravely defaults who uh but no, you know i, I, I just think, gotta be I think, honest yeah i think it's it's good to have kind of both sides of this um because yeah, i'm like totally. a relatively new fan of this genre and and where i'm finding the joy in this game are places that i know you like actively dislike and i, I think it's worth highlighting that specifically because like this is a game for people who already know before buying it that they're into that kind of stuff you know yes exactly which takes a lot of like self-reflection it takes a lot of like really really knowing the nitty-gritty of your likes and dislikes in a genre that has you know (laughs) like a like more unsuccessful entries than successful entries i think yeah so like you need to know that about yourself before picking it up but if you like that stuff you're gonna have a good time probably for the same reasons i am yeah and and all the like it's gotten pretty positive reviews overall like with like kind of both our opinions echoed in some ways yeah i mean i would love for this game to do well because i think that there's enough mechanically going on that i would love to see like if this was happening in a game where like there was halfway decent character design and story like it would be incredible for me like i would love that but like i think i really i really need at least one or the other in a game like this you Mm -hmm. know i need immediately to the cast to look cool or (laughs) it sounds very shallow but like you know if you if you see images of this game you'll know what i mean or what we both mean yeah it's like truly nightmarish yeah you're gonna have to spend like 80 to 100 hours with these people and and you don't you don't want (laughs) to like them by the end of it because you have like stockholm syndrome you know like (laughs) right (laughs) exactly i got kidnapped by elvis yeah Um, oh yeah elvis uh, who we're referring to is the black mage that you start with who um is this like uh, he's just this like guy who's wearing like a leather trench coat and a fedora which like immediately i'm like yeah what a look yeah maybe not and and his vibe is just like they tried to have the irreverent friend uh and it ends up just being like a weird like creepy guy like i just i just do not enjoy him really at all um and yeah. i also have to kind of I, I should also mention like i i'm not a huge fan of the voice acting in this game either not really working for me um i switched the audio to the japanese version and i've mostly been playing it with the sound off unless i'm uh, out in the overworld which has really great music yeah the thing I remember about the first game was that, like, whenever anything happened, the four characters each had to have a line. So it was like, at a certain point, I could predict exactly what was going to be said. Not that, yeah. like, I don't want... I love ensembles. I love... It's, like, my favorite thing to both write for and to experience. But, like, other than Edia, who is, I think, a, a good character, everyone else was, like, unbearable. It was just so much. And, like, I'm like, you don't need to all say your thing every time. It, it's very hard to put into words, but you'll know what I mean if you ever play that game it's like it just delays every scene by like a little bit longer than it should be (laughs) yeah there there is some of that in this game as well and from what i've seen in the fan base also because i've spent a little time on like bravely default uh, on the bravely default subreddit and like in some forums and stuff here and there just like see how this fan base is receiving it it's obviously mostly positive you know if you're a person who liked bravely default one and bravely second um you're liking this one uh but apparently there are a bunch of things that they added to bravely second that have been removed as far as quality of life improvements go which has kind of like made the fan base a little split on this game which i I think is interesting so if you are like a fan of one and second uh which weirdly enough there was bravely default bravely second and now bravely default two. i don't really understand how that works but that's how it is um i guess there might be some stuff that you might expect in this game that is not here but uh from 
what I've played so far, I've been having a, a surprisingly good time. Um, and, and it's kind of unlike us, I think, to bring a game to the table that we're so conflicted on. But A, it's a 2021 game. B, it, it was kind of dropped in my lap in a way that I, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll check it out. I, I'd like to see if I can find the fun. Um, and that was going to be my third point. I like to f- try and find the fun in games I don't think I'm going to like, which is why we talked about Anthem a while back. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, we will bring it to the table if we think it's going to make a fun conversation. I think it was worth talking about this game. Um, yeah. Even though I was like kind of a Grinch. <laughs> well, you're about to. I think. I think uh, you're going to balance the scales in our next segment, Stephen. Yeah, so the, the ghost of uh, RPG future is going to visit me, and I will be redeemed, Scrooge, in the next segment. Don't yeah. worry. Uh, God bless us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tiny Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to the crystals for blessing us. Okay, let's move on. Oh man, I there was this one moment in Bravely Default 2 which I I texted you about, but it's worth bringing up where a, a crystal like floats out of somebody's bag. It's like the wind crystal and it's like hello to to you like the player character like hello you were once floating in the ocean about to die but I saved you with my you know I- extremely powerful graces. Uh, and now you are the chosen hero of light. If you'd like to continue seeing what your destiny holds, please walk into the light and you're like floating in space. And then they give you control of the character. Uh, and, and there's a waypoint on the light in front of you. And there's a timer on the screen that's counting down from 30. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting that you're giving me like the choice here of like saying I'm going to follow the crystal's destiny path or whatever. Um, or I could maybe opt to not do that. And I was really curious to see what would happen if you didn't do that. And of course, what happens is when the time goes out, you literally just die. And then it says game over. And then they kick you back to the main screen. You have to load from your previous save, <laughs> which I was so <laughs> bummed about because I was like, oh, my God, what a cool idea to like have the hero reject the the call of destiny. You know, like you are literally about to set out on your quest and you can have the hero say no. That's like a really interesting narrative avenue that I would really like to see explored. Um, and they, they opted to not do that. So like, why even <laughs> present it as an option, I guess is my question. Yeah, that's bizarre. I don't know, man. It's like, Ooh, did you get every ending? Like the one where you immediately get a game over and die? <laughs> that's like, there's a moment in the telltale game of Thrones game where like you're in like the rival house and there's a dialogue option that ends up with everyone dying, including you. And then it's a game over. And it's like, why is that? <laughs> why do you even bother? Yeah. It's not uh, even like that's how the story I just like try again. It's like, okay, I guess I chose the wrong uh, dialogue choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's not, there's weirdly a lot of that in the next game we're about to talk about as well, which uh, we'll get into. Okay. But um, uh, anyway, let's take a break and then come back and talk about that thing. Sounds good. Hey, Brendan. Uh, I played a 2021 game. We both have actually, which I'm yeah. very excited to talk about. Yeah yeah <laughs> i'm really um, excited to talk about this game this is like I'm so excited i, I can't game. i can't oh, yeah let's just get into it what so are we playing? do you actually mind if i so we're, we're playing persona 5 strikers you yeah. guessed it it's here i actually before we talk about the game i'd love to talk about like just the lead up to this game because i think it's like exceptionally bizarre but like in a positive <laughs> way yeah sure so rewind your life to 2019 it's an average i would love day. to yeah, I mean, so actually, can we? <laughs> hey, crystals, do you hear us? Do it. Uh, hey, Palkia, you there or what? Rewind, rewind. Um. Anyway, uh, rewind to 2019. It's it's an average day, or so you thought. You guessed it. Joker announced for Smash, which like enough time has now passed that I still feel like that was like one of the most exciting Smash announcements like ever. Yeah, I dude. mean, yeah. 
listeners know that we're both big Persona fans, and like I really was happy to see him added to the roster, not to mention adding Persona stages and the music to the experience of Smash Brothers. But I think like that really him being announced was like a big implication of, of two possible things. One, that the requirements of being added to Smash were gone. Anyone could show up at this point. Yeah. Which have has been followed up successfully, I think, with Sephiroth and Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> uh two everyone was like oh my god does this mean uh persona 5 is going to be on switch that was like it's been a big desire for a while atlas is infamous for releasing big hits on on consoles not everyone has and then there's like a cry (laughs) to have it ported and then it's not big news is that they finally ported uh or they didn't port, but Persona 4 Golden was added to Steam and was like the best-selling RPG like of all time or something crazy like that. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, it was like immediately at the top of Steam's charts and yeah, as, as you said, I think became <laughs> the best-selling RPG on Steam ever. So Atlas is very similar to Nintendo in that there's just this constant demand for things that they're like, oh, did you want this? It's like, yes. But I think <laughs> like while Nintendo seems to be like kind of hoarding things like a dragon, I actually think Atlas is just like kind of in the clouds. <laughs> like they're just like, oh, you like this? Like, yeah, we do. What? Listen to us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who knows? I don't know what they goes send on out a, They send out doors, a user but... survey every year and people always go wild. I've never, this is like the only game company where like there are always huge articles written about the fact that Atlas has their like yearly user survey and everybody just floods it and it's like Persona 5 on the Switch please yeah right and so Joker's at a smash and everyone's like oh my god it's here and that was also around I think it was around the same time that Royal came out in Japan so like a lot of thoughts were like okay does this mean maybe Royal's not going to be on Switch but is Persona 5 Vanilla going to be on Switch I know exactly what happened around this time there were rumors of something called P5R and something called P5S and that they were going to get oh, announced right. at a big there was like a big like I think um, anniversary event for Persona 5 they were going to have like a live orchestrated concert and, and there were rumors circulating that there were P5R and P5S as two things that were in development simultaneously and everyone was like holy shit what's going to happen here and the assumption was that P5R was going to be something along the lines of what Royal became something kind of like Persona 4 Golden and that P5S was going to be a Persona 5 like vanilla port for the switch and that like it's possible that the switch might never see whatever the like golden or royal version of that game is but you're still getting persona 5 on the switch and that's amazing and that was like the going rumor for like a couple weeks leading up to what what ended up being what you're about to talk about yeah so then they're like no 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 it is a game called persona 5 scramble which is a dynasty warriors muso game with persona 5 characters so like for the nintendo switch For the Nintendo Switch, the excitement kind of waned. And and it's worth clarifying before we get into that. You and I both like Musou games a lot. I think that they've been really interesting, especially in more recent years. And more on that in a bit, because, you know, we have played this game. But, like, you know, it was disappointing. But then, then, like, at least for me, a few weeks later, I was like, you know what? I'm such a big fan of Persona 5 that just the idea of, like, playing as the full roster and fighting hordes of enemies, like, will be fun. Like, I will definitely find the fun in a game like that. Yeah. Then they're like, oh, it's only in Japan. And it's like, oh, okay. So <laughs> is it coming to Switch in the U.S. ever? And then they released a survey email saying, do you want this on Switch? And it's like, what is happening? Yeah. Why, what, what did Joker coming into Smash mean? Nothing? I guess so. And again, you know, this is, again, all ice cream, but it was just like a very bizarre, like, series of events that led to general confusion. But that being said, 
even when Scramble came out in Japan, the the critics who were able to play it and the reviews from Japan were very positive. Like yeah. there was already like a lot of positivity looming around that game, and I was I've been very excited to finally play it. Uh, fast forward to now, it's released in the U.S. as Persona Five Strikers on both PS4, PS5, and the Nintendo Switch. Um, you have it on Switch. I have it on PS4, and. It is absolutely incredible. It is so far beyond what I thought it was going to be. If I had to give just a quick elevator pitch, which I sometimes enjoy trying to put my thoughts into, um, it is much less what I thought it was going to be, which was a Musa game with Persona 5 characters and flair. And it is basically a Persona game with different combat. So, yeah. like, the experience you are getting is largely, with, with some things scaled down, I think the biggest app, the biggest thing that's missing is, like, you're not really getting the day-to-day life sim. Like, there's no, like, time limit, and there's no, like, direct kind of, like, I'm going to spend time with this character to get their story. But that being said, like, there's a lot of story here, and the, the first thing you're going to get when playing this game is just, like, excitement to be back with these characters yeah. that, you, that you love so much. It really feels like the, the first feeling I got playing this game was, like, when you watch a movie based on your favorite TV show or cartoon, and you're like, <laughs> oh my god, it's my friends, they're on the big screen! Like, it just, <laughs> you can hear the internal audience applause whenever characters show up in this game. Like, when so like lurks on the camera you just you're like yeah you know yeah (laughs) at least that was me it's really incredible the the thing that i have found so interesting about this game well first of all let me just say i i am also like completely fucking blown away by this game uh yeah it is ridiculously good and a lot of that comes down to the fact that it is more persona than it is a musou game but one of the interesting things i think and i didn't realize this until i looked it up um i was like okay who made this game though i was really curious and the name of the company is omega force and looking at the list of games that they've made it is just they make every musou game like every single one is them and it's clear that in recent years almost weirdly like the pokemon franchise at this point is like they have been iterating very very slowly towards something that is like a a success Successful kind of formula that they can, um, I, I guess, just improve upon as time goes on. Uh, they made Hyrule Warriors and then they made Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which I'm sure you were going to bring up at some point, um, which was like received in a mostly mixed way. You know, um, it, it's a game that like has a lot of the flair of Breath of the Wild that people wanted, but was, you know, really, really mainly focused on just like being a Musou game first and foremost with uh, some Breath of the Wild stuff added to it. Specifically a story that I think was a little bit blown out of proportion in terms of like how much it was going to actually connect to the canon of Breath of the Wild because it was very much pitched as like this is a prequel to that game and if you want the full scope of the story you're going to have to play Age of Calamity and it turns out that's not really the case. So I kind of went into this game expecting a similar thing. What I was not expecting is exactly what you just put in your elevator pitch which is like this is a sequel to Persona 5, like just straight up. It's just remove turn-based combat and put in Musou fighting. And that is like it. That is the video yeah. game. And I am so happy that that's what it is because it is really, really successful at being a Persona game um, and also is really fun when it becomes a Musou game. But I think the thing that they really nailed about it being a sequel to Persona 5 is that balance between those two things. There's yes. so much story and so little of the fighting, at least in like the early hours that in I've the beginning, experienced. Yeah. Yeah. That it feels like they're striking that balance in a way that makes me feel like I'm playing Persona. And I've 
loved it. I've really loved yeah. it. The only reason I haven't played more of it is because I wanted to play enough Bravely Default to talk about it on the episode. Um, but I, I'm excited to go back and play more of this. You've played a couple more hours than I have. Yeah, I'm I'm like towards the end of what is the first palace, basically. Um, and I think the reason it's so successful too with the Musa combat, which I have a lot more to say, but I think like in in a broad stroke, a lot of Musa games are kind of like this sort of map where there are different control points and you have to like, tre- there are almost like a MOBA, there are like two hordes of armies kind of constantly fighting with or without you. Mm -hmm. And you as whatever character, you know, let's say Age of Calamity, like this kind of worked this way where you could be Sheik or, I'm sorry, Zelda or uh, Impa or or Link and you run over there and you like fight a horde of enemies, maybe a boss and you clear the area and then they're like, oh, this space is under attack. So it's a lot of like a test of efficiency over necessarily difficulty of battle. Usually you're like unmatched. Usually you're just like like, it's like a power fantasy of sorts. Yeah. What's so brilliant about Persona 5 Strikers is that it's not that. It is designed literally like a Persona 5 palace would, but replace random encounters with like, like it's you're doing the same thing where you see shadows represented as these like kind of lurking creatures. And if you sneak up on them, you get the upper hand when the battle starts and there's like a big group of enemies that spawn. And battles are over quick. So I think the, the, the point of tension with a lot of Musa games is that they can feel repetitive sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this game does not so far at least it, yeah you know the battles are e- either over really quick or they're really tough and you're like on the edge of your seat and i think this feels less like dynasty warriors and honestly it feels more like ff7 remake in that it is like a very clever mashup of real-time combat with the rpg mechanics you know you can hold r1 to summon your persona and action freezes then you can select an ability and similar to the core game you know if they're weak to it you can then do an all-out attack and and weirdly enough this game in real time feels almost more true to the spirit of persona 5 than the turn base did this this was going to be my like later in this conversation hot take but i think i actually yeah. i i personally am connecting more with the moose house stuff in this game than i did with the turn-based combat in Persona 5 in in a way that I very much wasn't expecting because I I do think you're right. I think it actually kind of nails a little bit more the actual like fear of the like espionage and the sneaking of those palaces in Persona 5 Um, because when things go wrong, which, you know, they have to constantly when you're like trying to pull off a heist, you are flooded with enemies. And I think in Persona 5 and Royal, what they do to kind of highlight that or what they do to kind of get around that because they have to include turn-based combat is like you'll have a little cutscene that shows you getting attacked by a lot of people, but when you're in the actual combat, it's really not that many. And this game is actually showing you the thing that Persona 5 proper is alluding to. And and I, I think that's been a really compelling and like a, a really kind of like visually shocking shift for me um, yeah. and, and has made me more invested in the in the process of infiltrating people's palaces there's so it's so exciting it's really thrilling yeah like every character plays differently too and like doing the baton pass is as easy as just hitting a direction on the control pad so like you might like do a few slashes with joker cast a spell the enemy is weak to high five ryuji and he does like a shockwave attack like and it requires it's it's hard and it's hard to design this game without it feeling too fluffy or light like this is really what kingdom hearts 3 should have felt like that's like what i keep thinking Mm, is like kingdom hearts 3 felt like nothing i did actually mattered i'm gonna win no matter what every five seconds i can summon a disney ride it doesn't make any (laughs) sense it means nothing yeah but this game is like equally chaotic but every decision really matters in a way that like the the momentum of a fight can go wildly either your way or the enemy's way just like in the turn-based combat but it's in the moment and you're given more options where like you're literally leveling up your persona in the same exact way like 
they're getting abilities you know they have could only have so many you know i can use elemental attack on a field of them or heal or whatever but you're also unlocking combos in a more traditional musa way for all the characters but like they've done a really good they've, they've done such a good job making every character play uniquely that was something that was good about age of calamity as well um every character felt very unique yeah but there was definitely a little bit of a balance issue like you're playing a zimpa and you're wiping out everything and zelda is like given like a big magnet it's like why is this not on the same level mm-hmm. but like in persona 5 like i've i've been really enjoying playing my advice is actually to like try to stick to a few characters and like learn them because it can be a li- i will say this the game throws a lot at you and if you don't have a working knowledge of persona combat it could be very overwhelming yeah and it's a tough game and actually i think that's good because muso games can if they're too easy it, it lacks the the like sort of stakes that it wants to evoke by these hordes i was gonna ask what difficulty are you playing on I'm playing on normal and the first like mini boss you face is like very tough. Like it's, it's the wall. Like it, most fights will be over in an instant, but like the bosses are actually very tough and there's actually, there are options. Are you talking about the, like the, the like horse goat thing? No. Oh, okay. That's, that's like, yeah, there, there is a like mini boss proper later on. That's a big zombie later in okay, the palace. Yeah, I, I haven't hit that and yet. There are also enemies that are like light, they're like blue, and Futaba's like, oh shit, these are like really tough. Only take them on if you think you can. I'm like, I can do it. I've been doing pretty well. I got complete, I got ruined in like less than 10 seconds. Like, wow. one shot at everyone. So, like, there's similar to Persona 5 where you can have those like optional, really tough fights. They exist within this game in the Musou combat, but I've been really enjoying playing as Ryuji, uh, the new characters, Sophia and Makoto. Because um, mm. Ryuji just has this bat that has like such a good impact with it. Um, <laughs> Joker's a lot of fun, uh, as you would expect, because you already kind of have a you already have like an idea of how he would play given Smash Brothers. Yeah, and he can can as in the main game can switch his personas at will, which allows you to like mess around yes. with different elements. Um, so I'm glad that I carried over. I just want to mention also that I'm playing on casual mode, and uh, I've, I've had a really good time like i yeah it's, it's kind of played a little bit more like um like every other musou game i've played in terms of the combat but like you said it's over very quickly and allows me to just like fly through the story in a way that i'm actually like hoping for. let me know how it is until when you get to where i am because that's where like it's suddenly yeah i'm actually really peaks. curious i can double yeah. back we can make like a note of that i can double back and uh just kind of give an update on wh- how that feels uh, but i think it's a good thing i think it really kind of makes you like have to use because if all these tools and information didn't matter it would be fluff but the fact that you yeah. actually have to like lock in and really make sense of like when you're switching and why i think is really important sophia is very fun with her like yo-yo attacks and makoto has a combo where she hops on her motorcycle and just like hits a crowd of enemies it's just incredible like <laughs> It is so fun. And I think my theory is that, you know, you and I both like think that this combat is like at least comparable, maybe even if not better than the original game. I think this feels like a test bed for whatever the next Persona game is being a mesh of real time and, and turn based. You know, like if they want to go in a more FF7 remake approach to it. Yeah. I think they're like testing that out with this. I would be really curious to see if they actually make that switch because something about at least the history of atlas makes me think that they'd be a little bit like loathed to get rid of their like tried and true turn-based stuff but we're seeing it so often like square enix doing it with the final fantasy franchise as we just saw with sega doing it with uh yakuza like a dragon literally the inverse 
you know, taking right. the game from a beat 'em up into a turn-based combat thing. I, I would love to see that with the Persona franchise proper, but I think in here it is really, really working for me. And I think that's a great point that it feels more like Final Fantasy VII Remake than a Mosa game. I, I, I'm right there with you, actually. That hadn't occurred to me, but it really does feel that way. And I think that's why it's clicking for me so well. And there are some fun arcade moments, too. Like, if the enemy gets the upper hand, you get knocked down, and you have to, like, wiggle the joystick to get back on your feet. Mm-hmm. So, like, it has, it just has a lot of what you want from a game like this. In, in regards to, like, potentially the next Persona game being more real-time focused, not necessarily exactly this. I think the reason this succeeds is because while it's not the tried and true turn-based formula, they're still using all the things that are in that combat. Yeah, It's just a different interpretation of it. And I think kind of like how Pokemon is doing this thing where they've got the Diamond and Pearl remix on one branch and they've got the Legends on another, if I'm correct in assuming that there's an interest in experimenting with the next Persona game. They're also making a new SMT game, you know, for the Switch. So I wonder if SMT is going to be the series that remains like, here is the classic turn-based, all the same enemies, all the same items game. And, and Persona, because it's become, you know, kind of their flagship series, even over SMT, will be the one to kind of like veer in different directions. Yeah. And I, I, I do think the concerted effort they're making towards having Shin Megami Tensei 5 come out on the Nintendo Switch and worldwide might actually like lend credence to that as a as a potential future for them, um, which I think would be really, really cool. I think that'd be a really interesting move because it's worth noting. So this game was uh, developed by Omega Studio, who, as I mentioned, like makes every Musou game, but in conjunction with P-Studio, the Persona division of Atlas. So like they worked in tandem to make this game. Uh, and and I, I think you might be right. It might be a case of like them trying to learn from Omega Studio in terms of like what it's like to make a real time action combat game. That's a really yeah. cool idea. I would love to see that. I would really love to you see that. You can even see the interest in Core Persona 5 because before Persona 5, the like the dungeon, because you know, on, on a core level, Persona is half life sim, half dungeon crawler. Yeah. And in three and four, the dungeon crawling element feels very like classic. It's you roaming a randomly determined floor, avoiding enemies, finding items. It might be like styled in a fun way, yeah. but it's that. It's that at a structure. Whereas Persona 5 had these like almost Zelda dungeons that were designed in a predetermined way that really focused on stealth. And I think actually that's where this game I think is objectively more successful. Like you said before, the stealth and the action, like, you know, jumping on, you know, getting verticality and swinging on ropes and all that kind of like Indiana Jones heist stuff. Mm-hmm. In the core game felt like kind of just it was there because they wanted it to be whereas this game it feels like it serves a better utility like even in the combat there's a great mechanic where if you're playing as one character other characters in your party will suggest an action that you can just hit on the d-pad and they'll do it yeah so like while you're joker fighting you might be low on health Sophia might be like I can help and she'll be on top of this like crate attached by balloons and she'll cut it and that will drop on a horde of enemies like that stuff is so cool and And as you you mentioned before that feels exactly like what Kingdom Hearts should have been because Kingdom Hearts had these like uh, action moves that they introduced in the second one that they pulled through into the third one uh, where you can press triangle to do some stuff and it worked really well in Kingdom Hearts 2 and then in 3 they just took it to this like wild wild place that ended up just feeling like you had no agency over the game because you were just pressing triangle instead of literally anything else yeah there's no thought to it at all yeah and and in this game it's a lot of like okay let me actually look around it's very hectic it's very frantic and it's hard to do it in the moment but you need to take some time to like swing the right analog stick around to look at your environment and see what you can use to your advantage whether it be literally the thing from kingdom hearts 3 where like there's a 
there's like a pole that you can swing around on uh, and like knock out a whole bunch of enemies or something like you were talking about, like cutting the ropes on something so it drops down or like jumping up onto a rafter so you can like jump down and do kind of like a dive attack stuff like that. It's all really, really fun in the moment. Um, yeah, it, do- it does make me wish that this was like in Persona 5. <laughs> it's also paced well and that like the way it works, like in the normal Persona 5, you have like a deadline in this sort of like Stardew Valley calendar system to yeah. finish the palace by but in this game you just find a suit not that like that's that's very i love that design for the game persona 5 but in this game where there isn't like that deadline structure you just find checkpoints in the palace that you can for no consequence and the game even says that there's no risk doing this you can go back to the real world and regain all your health and like yeah regroup and then just go right back at no consequence so like usually there's always a checkpoint after like a pretty meaty part of the palace um, and where they incorporate the sort of bond structure where like in the core game, you get to know these characters on like a really personal level and you see their, their see their character story play out, whether it's like the owner of the cafe or someone in your party and leveling that relationship up will give you different mechanical abilities in the game. So like being closer with the cafe owner lets you like make coffee and curry that heals your allies, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And this game just kind of by playing it, um, you have a bond level that goes up and you can use bond points to unlock really helpful passive abilities. So one is like your whole party has more health. One is the items are cheaper. God, the music. I mean, there's a lot of songs from Persona 5 here, and there are a lot of cool remixes as well. But some of the original songs are like my favorite. Like there's a new battle song that I really love. And the shop theme for Sophia's shop, which literally is the dark web, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, it's awesome. Like there's a there's a story beat where you're like, oh man, the doctor and the airsoft shop are closed for the summer. And Sophia, your friend who's an AI, is like, I can help. I bought this off the dark web. <laughs> and that's just like, okay, that's where we'll get our medicine and weapons and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it is it is is very once like I will, I will admit it takes like probably 90 minutes to like kind of get a flavor of like what this game is I streamed my first like hour and a half playing it and what I was really enjoying was just like this kind of applause break seeing all these characters again for the summer uh you it know being so back. Nice. it was very nostalgic yeah but I was like, okay, how how do I feel about the combat? Yeah, and I didn't really know until like the first palace actually started. One quick note about the story. I won't get into it for spoilers. This will be spoiler free. Um, the game is billed as a sequel to Persona 5. I'm not quite certain if it's a sequel to Persona 5 or Royal. That being said, it doesn't five specifically, really... not Royal. Five specifically, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense because uh, Kasumi isn't there. Yeah. But um, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of big Persona 5 spoilers even in this story. So like my recommendation recommendation is like if you're a fan of five and you finish five this is a no-brainer if you're a fan of five who hasn't finished five but you want to play strikers but you want to finish five first but you're like that game is 100 hours i kind of want to play strikers right away it seems like all you really need to know to enjoy the story of strikers is like the full cast so like if you know all the characters yeah it seems like the story of strikers is pretty self-contained it's much lighter like it's a similar vibe where you're like trying to uh stop these villains in the cognitive realm it's a little bit different than than the plot of five but it it seems like kind of a standalone movie based on the series you know so (laughs) i I don't think i don't think you need to have finished all of five to enjoy the plot here and the plot's fun it's definitely not hitting the same highs and you're not getting like the part of persona five that like really i think makes people love this series including myself or like 
you get to know these characters as if they're real friends of yours. And like, that's why even if it's just a corny scene in a cafe, you're like, oh my God, I'm in heaven. This is great. Yeah. Everyone's back in one place. But the writing's still really sharp. Like it's, I think that uh, the characters are, are true to themselves. Yusuke is like very extra in this game for some reason. Like, yeah, I've been he, really surprised he had by that. quite yeah. a summer. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he's a lot more understated in 5, and here he's like, I am hungry. <laughs> you know, like, he's just not on the same level as anyone else. Yeah. Which I kind of love. Um, that Actually, weirdly enough, um, I'm playing this game with the English voice cast on, which I have not been doing for my playthrough of Royal. And uh, specifically, I had to do that, which I was a little bit bummed out by, because, like, weirdly enough, you know, just, I don't know, 80 to 90 hours into Persona 5 Royal or something. Like, I really feel like I've gotten to know all these characters via the Japanese voice cast. Um, yeah. In this game, you like really cannot do that if you don't understand the language because there's a lot of like dialogue and callouts and stuff that are happening mid combat. Um, yeah. That like just do not allow you to play this game in any language other than the one you like know and understand best. Um, so I, I've been I've been playing this game uh, with the English voice cast on and Yusuke's vibe in the English voice cast was like shocking to me. But also he feels like a completely different character at times. That's just, interesting. Just with the yeah. way he's like uh, enunciating and the amount of speaking and like uh, proselytizing he's doing as a character is like on a completely different level. It, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah. As you said, it's very clear that he's had like a wild couple months since the game ended. Um, I do want to actually add to your last bit uh, about oh, like sure. who this game is for. My, I think my one like big asterisk caveat for this game is like I don't think it's for people who are curious about Persona as a franchise, unfortunately. No. Um, because the game does like absolutely no work towards like teaching you how Persona as like a franchise works. Um, it doesn't really do a whole lot to give you a really accurate round understanding of these characters. You really need to have taken that from playing the first game, which is like a little bit of a bummer. There's one moment where I was like, oh, this is going to be it, where they introduce the new character Sophia to everyone else. And I was like, oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be the like, if you haven't played Persona 5, here's where you get to learn who all these characters are. And like, that was not the case at all. So unfortunately, this really is like an extra game for people who already liked the first one. What I will say, though, and an interesting kind of like side avenue that I've taken uh, that I've been really enjoying, actually, uh, because I didn't really remember a lot of the stuff that happened towards like the beginning of Persona 5. Um, I, I went and started watching the anime, uh, which is available currently on Funimation. You can watch the anime, which uh, I have seen online and in some discussions that like people have very mixed feelings on it. I've been loving it. And uh, weirdly enough, the, the anime also is not really a great starting point for people who have played none of Persona 5 because they don't do a whole lot to explain like how Persona 5 really works. Um, and they also spend a lot of time focusing on the actual gameplay mechanics of Persona 5 <laughs> in the anime. I actually love that. Which yeah. is like wild. Like there's a whole like side beat in one of the episodes where where Joker wakes up in the Velvet Room and they teach him how fusing Personas works. Uh, and it's like, you don't need to spend five minutes on this. This yeah. is just, just make <laughs> Arsene, the character from Smash Brothers that everybody knows, just make him like Ash's Pikachu. Just like keep him around the whole time and right. you're good. But instead, Arsene's like, goodbye. I'll meet you in another light. And then he gets his head chopped off and fused into like a little demon in a bowl. Uh, it's like very silly. Um, it's like not necessary at all. But in terms of refreshing my memory and like kind of giving me a little bit more of these characters, it's actually been a really uh, like enriching watch to prepare me for Persona 5 Strikers. Um, so I watched like 10 episodes of that and now I'm like in Strikers and like fully, fully in Strikers and like loving it, loving it. That's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I it's weird because I think I, I was having a similar thought while playing Strikers where I'm like, is this the game that I can pitch to like new fans? And it's definitely not. It's so not. It's really a bummer. But I, at the same time, though, I've played a lot of Persona spinoffs. I've played the dancing games. I've played uh, Q2 New Cinema Labyrinth. And like... <laughs> They're actually all great if yeah. you're a big fan of the series, but I don't think they're required reading by any stretch. But I do think if you're a fan of Persona 5, this is a must. Like, I think you will have such a good time with this game. Yeah. And again, the story is not hitting the same highs, but I think it's like a very worthy sequel already. Yeah. So I'm having the best time with it. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to play more of it. Um, I do want to mention, like, it's been my like long quest to have something Persona adjacent on the Switch. I've really I've really wanted um, Persona 5 to get ported. Unfortunately, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think the closest we might ever get is Persona 4 Golden. Like, I still have my fingers crossed that, like, eventually that's going to make it to the Switch. Yeah, um, that seems more likely. But uh, that said, if you, like, are really hankering to play a Persona-esque thing on the Switch, um, definitely go pick up Tokyo Mirage Sessions, because that really is, like, Persona Light. It just feels so much like a Persona game with, like, slightly different mechanics. Uh, and I had a really good time with it. And it's also by P-Studio. So it just kind of like will scratch that itch. Not that that's going to get you into Persona 5 Strikers, but if you're like listening to us talk about Persona 5 Strikers and you're like, man, I really wish I could play something like that, but I only have a Switch. Tokyo Mirage Sessions is a good, good avenue to take. Uh, I, I agree for the most part, especially if you only have a Switch. But I think like no while playing that game that like the reason people like Persona is like good writing and good characters, <laughs> which I don't think is into, at least for me, I didn't experience in that game. But I think you're right in just terms of like style and vibe and structure, I think think you're absolutely correct and it's kind of like an interesting spin on the smt uh series but if you do have all the systems and you want to get into persona royal is still the best entry point like for the actual series yeah and also i guess while we're throwing that out there it's worth adding the caveat there that if you have i think a ps4 or a ps5 and playstation plus persona 5 like standard is free in the playstation plus collection it's it's hard to say it but i would really advise that you play royal instead because like if you really like persona of five in the free version you're gonna be really bummed when you have to start from the beginning to experience the stuff yeah, in royal totally so yeah honestly this might be a hot take i think the best intro to persona is fire emblem three houses i think if you like <laughs> that game yeah you will really right. love persona because it's, it's i think fire emblem three houses well not well not it's accessible and it's not because they're throwing a lot of info at you that can be overwhelming but the game can be played on a very easy difficulty where you basically just like roll through the combat and you end up just having like this sort of like friend simulator basically yeah. where you're like learning about these characters. And I think that that division of like, I'm getting to know these characters better that is like aiding the battles and it's making me care about the story is like exactly what you're getting from a good persona game. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. But um, yeah, I digress. Strikers really good game. Highly recommend if you're a fan and uh, we'll maybe report on it again. If like something about the experience changes, is further in but i imagine it will stick the landing given that it's also a shorter game it's like 25 to 30 hours yeah oh i want to make a point of this also um you're playing yeah. it on the ps4 at the moment i'm playing it on the nintendo switch the big differences between the two because i found it really hard to google this for some reason um and now having played it on the switch and you're playing it on the ps4 and i watched your stream of it the ps4 60 frames per second uh load times are really fast it looks obviously better than it does on nintendo switch the switch version is like way beyond passable and is actually like really good it is the best Best performing Musou game I've seen on the Switch, like by far. So, like, if you're a person who played Age of Calamity and you were like, uh oh, this is not <laughs> running super well, um, 
I have found that that Strikers runs like really well. It's like locked at 30 frames per second instead of 60, but uh, looks great and plays great and looks exactly like Persona 5 just on your Nintendo Switch. And that is uh, all I really asked for. I specifically got it on Switch because we were just talking about this during the break, but like I feel like I've been neglecting my Switch recently. Like I haven't had a lot to play. So I got it specifically so I had something on my Switch and uh, I've been really liking it so the switch is back between this and bravely default 2 for me <laughs> i think also like given how much the game is kind of visual novel-esque the switch is a great console for it so like even if it's at the sacrifice of not quite as smooth battle animations like yeah. half the game is story so like yeah it's really like which part of the game do you want to benefit from the system you're playing on and i and i know i look let me preface this by saying i know this is not how game development works i'm aware but it really does make me feel like you could make some concessions visually and maybe find a way to get persona 5 on the switch like it, <laughs> it really does feel like it's possible um yeah i i have to assume it's not for some reason or another but uh this game looks so good on the switch and has real-time action combat that like it makes me think that it would be possible to do it but who knows also in the configuration menu you can switch between graphics or frame rate if you want like to focus on one or the other i think that's also on the switch version so like oh is it if you i, I don't know for sure I mean, that, that's that's very much a ps4 version that's like very much a ps4 thing like playstation always does that. i can check right now how, how about i check right now yeah why not Okay, so uh, reporting back, no graphics or frame rate uh, mode on the Switch, ah! unfortunately. But I do want to mention the other thing about the Switch that that is a little bit of a caveat is that the load times are really long. But I haven't mm. really found that to like hamper my fun in any way. But if you're choosing between the two and you think you'll play it a lot on the PS4, like that's probably the best place to play it, I imagine. Yeah. But uh, I just really wanted it on the Switch, and I'm finding it to be a perfectly enjoyable, if not great, experience. Uh, so yeah. And hopefully buying on a Switch gives Atlas some data to be like, hey, psst, release more. I mean, it's not unthinkable because SMT is like a Switch exclusive. Like the new one is going to be a Switch exclusive. SMT has been on Nintendo since like Super Famicom. Yeah. The last 3DS game was Persona Q2 New Cinema Labyrinth. Yeah. So there's like a friendship there. Just yeah. got to realize it. Um. Persona 5 Strikers is a good game. You can get on a bunch of platforms. We love it here in the Aether. 2021 <laughs> has new video games and we're playing them in the Aether. Um, I had a question for you. What do you think of the new characters? The two new characters they added? I'm I I'm iffy on them at the moment. Yeah. I was really unsettled by Sophia's introduction, but her like interaction with the ensemble since has been really fun. Cause she has like that sort of data quality of being like an like a AI. Yes, which is like so always funny. My shit. I mean, I am I am yeah. the person whose favorite Marvel character is Vision and has been like since Age of Ultron. <laughs> uh, and then like yeah. went and read all the like comic stuff about Vision. So like I am I'm very much that dude and also data in next generation as you just mentioned a uh, big fan big fan of that like trope for a character um, where Sophia starts to like I, I think rub me the wrong way in terms of her writing is that she feels a little bit like um, Lilu from Fifth Element uh, at times yes absolutely that's that's what initially turned me off yeah, yeah. in w in ways that I think um, are are like detrimental to the the storytelling for that character but also I want to play more of it and see if like maybe she rounds out a bit more and becomes a little bit more instrumental uh, and has a little bit more agency but that said um the character that they introduce as the antagonist for the first palace is incredibly well designed and is so fun to watch on screen just like a real like <laughs> like a real like black hole of your attention uh you just like you just like 
you, you like really can't stop smiling while watching this person be evil. It's wild. Yeah. It's it's sometimes so fun to see a villain that's like not even trying. You know, we, we talked about the, the Prosody video where he's like, the world isn't perfect. And it's like the game is thinking you don't know who the villain is, even though it's very obvious. Yeah. But when a character is like, I know I'm the villain, I'm going to flaunt it every second I get on camera. It's yeah. just incredible. Yeah. Just like, like is really reveling in it. And and I, I want to be clear that this is not like a uh, Kamashita kind of villain. This is like, uh you know, Kamashita is a person who is like doing really unspeakably horrible shit and is like very evil and loves being evil but you also like really want to beat the shit out of him the whole time this is a very different take on that where uh it's a little less high stakes i would say uh yeah it's like ursula and little mermaid who's just like yes, yes i love evil yeah, yeah it's more absolutely like that. that's a great take yeah. yeah the other new character is uh <laughs> it's kind of funny the way they introduce him so he's this detective who knows joker's leader phantom thieves the very beginning plot this is not a spoiler the, the very beginning plot is that there have been recent reports reports of like personality changes so like everyone suspects this is the phantom thieves doing that they're back in some way even though it's not but more on that later yeah so this detective is kind of after joker um and and he's set up in the beginning kind of in the shadows and then uh uh he's just been i'm like five or six hours in and he's just been like formally introduced but like he shows his badge and he's like i'm a cop and everyone is like ew like, is like, like it's just so funny uh, haru has a great line where she's like we despise cops actually Actually, like with a smile on her face, which I'm like, <laughs> hell yeah. But uh, yeah, I um, he has this kind of uneasy alliance with the group. And I think he also, I think he's the one whose persona is Jean Valjean or based on Jean Valjean, which like, yeah, we'll have to see how that manifests. He has more of a Javert vibe currently. Yeah, I'm just excited for you in general to get any Les Mis content <laughs> in there. But yeah, I, it's, I'm excited to see where the story goes, even though it's like a little bit lighter than, than five is. Then but, there's um, a third character whose persona is adoring fan from Oblivion. <laughs> Pretty much. It's like one notch above like, hello. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hello, I'll be your persona today. <laughs> exactly but yeah it's it's been really fun i i think uh i'm not sure how he's gonna round out the ensemble um and i'm hoping that sophia's story continues to stray from like what we initially felt with her introduction yeah her scene where she orders stuff from the black market like kind of did a lot for me to be like, okay like that's her energy is mm-hmm. like blissfully unaware of like the danger she's bringing to everyone yeah uh but yeah we'll, we'll see how it plays out because um it could go either way but it's just so fun to be back with these characters it's fun to play is all of them the design and the music is like exactly what you'd expect it to be yeah uh it, it's just a great time and, and even just like the high level setting it in the summer so there are like really no like school stakes i think was a really smart move um, oh yeah totally yeah also uh, <laughs> just real quick inside stuff haru is like kind of working for monsanto now which is so funny yeah <laughs> like man. her first line is like i'm genetically engineering seeds it's like what the fuck yeah <laughs> Which I love. I mean, that's actually a needed occupation, but it's just funny because she's also like tremendously wealthy. Like she's like one percent rich. Yeah. Given her dad was like the head of a fast food chain, but I just thought that was a funny detail for us, given our connections to Big Agrochem. <laughs> you know us. Um. All right. <laughs> okay. Should we wrap up? <laughs> yeah, let's wrap up. This is a fun one. Uh. Hey. Listener, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We say every week, and I feel like it always loses meaning, like rewashing a shirt over and over again. But I don't want it to because we mean it every time. 
I mean, I think this year in particular has been weirdly a big year for us. We've seen a lot of numbers go up and not that we're doing it for that reason. Like Brendan and I would make this show because we just enjoy doing it, but it's always very, it's just like unreal to see anyone else enjoying it as much as we enjoy making it. So thank you for those who have like told us that in recent weeks that this show means a lot to you in some way. Um, It it really makes us feel like what we're doing here is worthwhile in like any way. (laughs) So I appreciate that. Yeah. Every, every like week to two weeks, I'll have a moment where like I'll just be scrolling on Twitter or like doing anything else like literally doing my job or something and I'll like have a freeze frame moment where I'm like holy shit into the aether is really fun I like making this podcast um so I I, I do think uh in that vein like yes Steven and I would be making the show regardless uh these are just the conversations that he and I have generally anyway uh yeah right (laughs) just recorded and released um but that said uh it's really fun and and it's really wonderful that um people respond the way they do uh and and we're so grateful that anybody listens and shares it and whatever so thank you all so much for listening it's it's really really wonderful yeah thank you so much again worth repeating until the end of time um if you like the show the best way to help it grow as you know is to share it with a friend who you think might also enjoy it if you want if you feel so compelled and you're like i love apple corp you can give us a <laughs> review on apple podcasts <laughs> uh some of you have done that recently we've seen some new reviews thank you so much for your kind words but honestly just listening and sharing it is the best way to help us we have a patreon as well again if, if backing the show at all puts you in financial strain please do not we will understand if you have to withdraw your funds but it helps us grow uh it helped me get a new capture card which is going to help me do more streaming lately stuff like that new equipment um, Um, That will help us do more outside of the show. Speaking of that, I'm going to be starting my uh, Nuzlocke run of Pokemon Emerald, I think in like the coming weeks. So I still have to get a bunch of stuff set up. So it might, you know, it's still a little bit up in the air, but I imagine everything will be like good to go at some point in March. So I will announce that. And that's something I've been wanting to do for years. I don't even know if Nuzlocke's are still popular, but I just want to do it. (laughs) I think it'll be a really fun time. Uh, And I've been really enjoying streaming with you all anyway. Like with, uh, I think I'll resume FF10 as well. have been so fun and i i've been oh, thank using you. them as a guide for me on my playthrough <laughs> of final fantasy 10 so i do hope oh, you wow. continue so i can continue using you as a guide i definitely uh, will. shout out to my dad by the way who's playing Link's awakening uh and is using my playthrough as a guide uh, oh my god that's fun amazing yeah so yeah uh into the cast that online is where you can find all our links uh to our twitch to our youtube mm-hmm. um if you miss our streams they're all backed up on youtube as well and there are some playthroughs that are youtube specific i know brendan you've been doing lost odyssey and earthbound just like straight to youtube recorded ahead of time yeah i don't think earthbound is going to continue because i moved uh i started playing that one handheld instead but uh lost odyssey is definitely going to continue because i'm loving that game every time i sit down to play it more so uh stay tuned for that i think we're six episodes in uh and i've been keeping those shorter also those are like a half an hour each just about um also for streaming like i mean we're always open to feedback for the show as well but for streaming like definitely let us know what you enjoy the most at least for me like sometimes i'm kind of like up in the air of like should i continue this should i do something new it seems like ff10 has been a really enjoyable time so i might like slowly but surely try to just do it like go through the whole game Mm. and i think you know the nuzlocke thing i just think is going to be so much fun and i will be a creative and heartbreaking journey uh (laughs) that's how they tend to go yeah i I think that's going to be really exciting uh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Let us know um, how you feel about that. I, I also recommend just like in general. So first of all, you can go to IntoTheCast.online to find the links to our Twitch and our YouTube. Um, I recommend like 
I know how this sounds, but like hit the hit the like notification bell on YouTube and whatever the equivalent of that is on Twitch as well. So you can like get notified when we go live because we tend to just kind of like go live on a whim. We'll like tweet about it that day generally um, yeah. from either our personal Twitter accounts or the inter- to the Aether Twitter account. But um, we, we sometimes we'll just do like surprise streams uh, if we're like feeling kind of like motivated and, and I don't know, excited about something. Um, yeah. I, I've done a couple on our Twitch where like I just hang out and like we'll just play something at random just to like hang out with people from like the Discord and whatever. Um, which, by the way, there's a Discord. You can also find the link to that on Into the Castle Online. It's a really wonderful Discord. It's a really great community. But anyway, I would just recommend like maybe getting the notifications yeah. set up for that because we go live a lot uh, at random. <laughs> yeah, it's at random pretty much. I think for the Nuzlocke, I might try to find like a day to commit to for that. So it's like a weekly thing or something. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But everything else is just like whenever I feel like it, whatever. Yeah, okay? every once in a while we'll have like a kind of a spurt of like a schedule. So like when I was doing Link's Awakening and um, Hollow Knight, that was like every weekday morning at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time was like when that was happening. Um, Lost Odyssey has been just like I try and release it as often as possible um, when life isn't getting in the way. But uh, yeah, so I just expect more Lost Odyssey stuff to show up on YouTube. I think also I'll continue what I did last October for our Halloween season where like every Friday I'll play a scary game. That mm-hmm. was so much fun last year. I definitely want to do that again this time. And I might also continue. Uh, I made a Bloodborne character named Friday Blood and I got like relatively far with him. So I think in October I might just continue the Bloodborne playthrough and then do a scary game every Friday. So that's like yeah, probably the closest you'll see to a schedule from us. <laughs> we're busy boys. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else uh, we should mention here. Bravely Default, the third, comes out in 2023. <laughs> On the Nintendo Switch Advance. Elvis's Choice. I think you're going to really like it. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's, that's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you're looking forward to that's coming out on the horizon? Uh, Other than Pokemon, obviously. I was going to say Pokemon. Monster Hunter comes out in later this month. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, Monster Hunter is this yeah. month. Fuck. Monster Hunter. <laughs> and then April. April's some big ones for me. It's a little bit niche, but April we're going to get the Nier Replicant remaster. Yes. Um, which I'm very excited about. They just revealed the voice cast for that, and it's like unbelievable. Yeah, it's really good. Um, uh, <laughs> it kind of, yeah, it's the star, it's star-studded cast, for lack of a better word. And also, um, Guilty Gear Strive, I think, comes out in March. Oh so yeah, you've been really looking forward to that. I have, yeah. So expect some some rare fighting game content from me on that i think the beta is available but i for the life of me can't figure out how to play it on ps4 because the menu is like did you want to buy it or did you want to pre-order the deluxe i'm like i just wanted to play the beta actually yeah it's there you just got to dig for it but you know I kind of would. I'm, it's close enough that I don't mind just waiting until it's out and seeing how it is. Yeah, you you and I are also in a place at the moment where we're playing a lot of stuff that we're not talking about on the show, which is like always difficult to like not bring up that stuff. I think. Yes. Um. But you and I have a bonus that we're working on for March that I'm like fucking amped about, and the game that we're yeah. playing for that is like so good. I'm also, if you don't mind, I'm gonna like half tease something a little bit further in the pipeline. Yeah, please um, go for it. Just to give some uh, pepper in some fan theories, I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, what if I just said like a random name? Like I just say Elvis at the end of every episode and people have to figure out what that means. <laughs> um, no, but uh, in terms of us playing a lot of games, there's something we're preparing for uh, the beginning of next season that I think you're all going to really enjoy. And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we is that too much even? No, do I don't think so. That's fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Steven Steven and AJ and I have been working on something for, for season four that uh it's cool, man. It's really cool. It's gonna be nice. It's gonna be a nice time. It's gonna be it's gonna I'm I'm arrogant now. It's gonna be fucking good. It's gonna be a great episode. <laughs> You're gonna love it. Um 
Okay, I guess we should wrap up at this point. <laughs> That's it. I gotta get on my boat and meet other players to get some items. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, my boat. Oh, God, my boat. Um... Hey, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Happy early spring. It's March now. Yeah, and it feels like it. Pisces season. Open those windows and get Claritin clear. Get Claritin clear. Change of seasons making me sneezy. Oh, no. Okay, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Garbage. Nah, I'm mine.